0: Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, Chris 10K Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, we took a little bit of a break last week. Not that you wanted one, but because I was a little bit under the weather, you were raring to go, but I had to take a little bit of a break but we're back. Did you miss me? I did. It feels like
1: it's been much longer than a week. It feels like it's been like 3 or 4 weeks. So, first of all,
0: how are you doing? I'm doing a lot better. Still have a little bit of a, a sniffle, but for the most part, I feel back to 100% how I felt kind of going into our last episode, which was the as you know, the the live stream that we did on for signing day.
1: That was a fun yet Somewhat uneventful signing day. That's kind of been the trend year for us this uh, past couple years. where <laughs> We haven't had a whole lot of news to report actually on signing day. But you know what? Maybe that's the new way of recruiting with the transfer portal and the early signing period. It's definitely becoming a little bit different in terms of how these commitments are spaced out. And certainly we have more to talk about decommitments in this episode then we
0: have commitments. Right. We're going to get into a bunch of different topics. We we have some stuff kind of carried over from the week that we missed last week. But we have a bunch of topics to talk on. Like you said, we have a, a decommitment to, to get into. We have some collective NIL news that dropped today. The Tommy Group, uh, what happens with Boulevard. We'll talk about all that kind of stuff early in the show. We have a big new USC support staffer. Uh, one bookie radley hiles we'll talk about him we have some visits that are already being set up for this spring and summer kind of talk about that everyone has been asking about deuce robinson todd munkin baseball we'll get into that a little bit of spring spring football kind of dealings you know we're less than three weeks away from the start of spring camp they're going to start early due to the week zero game that they have scheduled for the 2023 season so We'll get Gerard's thoughts on some spring football stuff. Gerard was at Passing Down last week. So we'll get his thoughts on what he saw from his first seven-on-seven event of the year. Gerard, I'm assuming you were very excited to get out there.
1: Always excited to see the T-shirt
0: All-Americans. There you go. T-shirt All-Americans. We have some new offers. We have a top schools list that are coming out. We have some coaching moves from other programs across the country and then i have a few listener questions stowed away to fire at gerard but for the most part we have a lot of different things to talk about gerard said before we started recording we don't have much to talk about and i know every time he says that like literally the last three times he said that it's been one of our longest shows so gerard i think you did that on purpose
1: you're setting expectations chris we just got to go with the flow
0: Before we go with the flow into our cold open, as always, I need to throw a shout out to the official sponsor of Composite Two Star Recruits podcast. You know her. You love her. Meredith Schlosser, the top real estate agent in Southern California, Los Angeles, with over $600 million in sales and more than 200, yes, 200 five-star Zillow reviews. She's literally the realtor of Jeannie Buss, the president of the Los Angeles Lakers, and also helped out a one-star like myself, 10K Trevino, helped me get into the house that I live in currently. So I am not only you know, speaking as them being our sponsor, but me being a client of Meredith Schlosser and her team. Seriously, they have a wide range of services for a wide range of clientele that helps with rentals, sales, and purchases. Extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. If you are thinking about buying a house or selling your house in 2023, make the right room, move, excuse me, and go with Meredith Schlosser. She was recently recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com and check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Thank you so much. For Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. Now, Gerard, cold open time, a little bit of a I mean, I mean, guess some people would say we're leading off with bad news this week, but USC did take a decommitment this week from four star Long Beach Poly wide receiver Jason Robinson Jr. He was an early commitment in that 2024 class, actually committed to interim head coach, Dante Williams. And he was actually a name we had heard for several months, for a long time, that he was going to be decommitted or, I guess you say, quote-unquote, pushed out of this class, not that Lincoln Riley was taking over. But, you know, he stuck around longer than some other guys we thought would, you know, including Dylan Williams and Aaron Butler and just uh, just some other guys in that class. So, Jason Robinson held out to the second to last. USC only has one 2024 commit left. But Gerard, is this really a big deal this early in the recruiting cycle? I mean, I saw some people, you know, acting like the the sky was falling after USC now just has one commit left in 2024. But I'm kind of looking at it from my perspective as like, I don't understand why you're getting all bent out of shape about this it's so early it's like this is not even going to matter in eight months down the line
1: is the sky falling or is it just the chinese weather balloons
0: uh, <laughs> i knew it was you going you to make a weather balloon chinese
1: spy balloon news into our podcast it's the new high-speed chase for msn but anyways talking about jason robinson jr the 5 860 pound four-star wide receiver from long beach poly as you said he was a Dante Williams commit. And now the Dante Williams commitment class is completely gone. Washed away. No more commitments from Dante Williams interim uh, stint as head coach at USC. Aaron Williams, uh, Calabasas athlete, decommitted uh, just a month or so ago. And then Dylan Williams, the four-star linebacker from Long Beach Poly, the teammate of Jason Robinson Jr., also decommitted of that group. We've talked about it before. Dylan Williams was the shocker, was the surprising decommitment from that group. Uh, Jason Robinson, I spoke to him at Battle at the Beach at Huntington Beach last July. And it's a big passing tournament down here annually, and we always cover it. And I spoke to him, and I spoke to his father, and I came away from the conversation thinking, okay, he's not for long. (laughs) He's not going to be in this class. For uh, very much longer, he'll probably decommit before the start of his junior season. And lo and behold, he held out longer than both Dylan Williams and Aaron Butler. What makes it ironic is the only commitment that USC has right now in the 2024 class is Joey Olson, who is from Oregon. Which, interestingly enough, I think if you talk to Dylan Williams and you talk a little bit to Jason Robinson Jr., the school that they talk up the most right now is probably Oregon. So it's like the kid that lives in Oregon <laughs> wants to leave Oregon. And then right. the kids from Southern California are talking about going to Oregon. They Also, the ironic thing, which sort of puts us into the bizarro world of Superman that Jerry Seinfeld talked about so many years ago, is that Joe Olson is a tight end, and we know USC didn't really utilize the tight ends very much last year. Now, to be fair, Joe Olson's being recruited by USC as a bigger receiver and not just strictly a traditional tight end. but He's rated as a tight end and he'll play tight end in college. So it's very strange recruiting. I mean, this is sort of emblematic of trying to predict how things are going to go when you have guys like Dylan Williams who go down to USC and talk up USC and wear USC gear and always post about USC in their social media. And then, boom, the next thing you know, he takes one unofficial visit to Oregon and he's decommitted. So we're kind of dealing with this era of college football and this era of recruiting, which are in flux. And this is a perfect example of that. Now, specifically talking about Jason Robinson, is this a huge decommitment for USC? No, it's not. Not from a talent standpoint, not from a need standpoint. I think Jason Robinson Jr. is a very good player. He's very small. Uh, He has to put on some weight. I think there are aspects of his game which he's continuing to develop. He's a smallish slot receiver and not necessarily like a marquee player in a recruiting class. Now, having said that, certainly you don't want to lose local players from key high schools to out-of-state uh, competitors like Oregon or Cal or anybody else. I mean, Cal's in-state, but certainly if you're USC, you want to be able to lock down Southern California and schools like Long Beach Poly, uh, Gardena Serra, Mater Dei, St. John Bosco. We know that once USC starts to do that, USC is back on track. They are back to being USC, the USC that people know from the Pete Carroll era. And so until they do that, there's going to be this constant trying to pivot and maneuver to have traction uh, just locally, trying to build that wall around the local talent. And then as you build that wall locally, you start to kind of push it out more and more and encroach on other schools' territories. And so USC is not there yet as a recruiting power. And obviously we have to consider the fact that, you know, when we talk about this modern era of college football and recruiting, how it's in flux, with the transfer portal how much does that affect the recruiting of high school players and you know how much is put off into the window of having transfers come in and feeling like you know it's not a big deal if we have a decommitment of this player or that player we still don't know how that's going to play out but certainly there's something that you can supplement to your high school recruiting class at the end of the year with some guys that are coming out of the portal because there's obviously a lot of talent there. So, you know, at the wide receiver position, you would think, you know, it'd be pretty easy to go out and land players at the quarterback position. It would be easy for USC to go out and land players just because of the offense and because of what Lincoln Riley has done, you know, as a head coach and the offenses that he's been able uh, to, to have that have been prolific at both Oklahoma, USC, and before that as an offensive coordinator when he was at East Carolina. So, the one thing that's maybe interesting to take from this is again, 2024, there seems to be some hesitation from some recruits with USC. And you question why that is, you know, and there's been some conversations behind the scenes a little bit about, well, you know, how long is Lincoln Riley going to be at USC? You know, how long is Dante Williams going to be at USC? Does Lincoln Riley decide to leave USC along with Caleb Williams? Is there sort of a package deal? There's conversations like you have with parents and some other people. I don't know if there's anything to it, though. I think it's really more these individuals as prospects are looking around, and if there's really something that's luring them away, it's not rumors of where Lincoln Riley's going to be in another couple seasons. It's more NIL, and it's more of the grass is greener on the other side. You want to be uncommitted because if you're uncommitted, you'll have more schools that look at you and want to recruit you. And in the minds of parents and recruits right now, That means potential NIL money.
0: Can I just touch back on something you mentioned maybe 30 minutes ago when you started talking? (laughs) Something you touched on about that's when USC is back, when you're you're locking down those local schools in the area, Long Beach Poly, Modern Day, St. John Bosco, Sarah. Do you feel like the 2024 is going to be the first real big test of that for this cycle just because you have those – Two big offensive linemen at modern day, you know, Aiden Breeland also there in the 2024 class. You have Dylan Williams at Long Beach Poly. You have some Sarah guys. You have some really good Bosco linebackers that they're recruiting. So is 2024 going to be that big first test of locking down your backyard area against, you know, all these other programs that want to come in and take these guys I just mentioned?
1: I'm going to give you the Keely answer and say yes and no. Yes, because you do want to go into modern day and you do want to lock up those linemen. And we're going to talk a little bit about Brandon Baker specifically, the five-star off to tackle, number one off to tackle in the 2024 class at modern day. We're going to talk a little bit about him and, uh, you know, how his recruitment is going and and how that uh, how that's connected to USC right now with certain coaching moves that's been made up in Oregon. Um so from that standpoint, yeah, there are some key players that you want to get there are must get. At the same time, I'd say no because I'm looking at the 2024 class right now, and you know we haven't really gotten into it. Right, We haven't gotten into many camps. We need to see a little more. But at the top end, compared to the 2023 and even the 2022 class, there's not a lot of marquee talent. There's not very many good quarterbacks locally that USC can recruit. And obviously a class is always sort of – it sort of leads with the quarterback position, and you know if it's deep there, then you kind of start to look around and go, okay, you know, is it deep and do you have multiple positions where it's varied or is it just deep at certain positions? Um, With this class, it's sort of spread out, but you don't have a ton of guys that are really heavy hitters, that are real game changers. The type of players that you bring in first year of the program And they make an impact. So from that standpoint, you know, we're kind of still waiting to see if some of those players emerge because at face value right now, it's not there. So locally, I think there's not as many, if you would call them can't miss type prospects. And so it's going to force USC probably to look around a little more, which is something that, you know, you don't like you don't want to do. And certainly, if you're USC, you're in this process of of locking down local talent, and you're trying to make statements locally. And we talked about this with Mateo Oyongalele's commitment. You know, what was that from an actual impact standpoint, from a contribution standpoint, as opposed from a statement standpoint? And I think it was more the latter. It was more getting the top defensive prospect ratings-wise, getting a good prospect from Bosco, which has been something USC's you know, sort of had a mixed bag recruiting St. John Bosco, which is, you know, one of the top football programs in the nation, let alone just locally. Um, You're going to have maybe some of those recruitments in the 2024 class as well, where in terms of the contribution, in terms of the actual player you're getting, it maybe is not as big as the statement of, you know, this is our house, this is our territory, and we're going to get the guys we want to get. And that's, I think, you know, something that you just see, that's, that's one of the telltale signs of a program coming into true dominance, where they're able to get guys year in and year out, stack positions. You know, we've seen it before. Anybody that was around with the Pete care era understood and saw that, that real transition from where the Paul Hackett years, you know, Paul Hackett didn't recruit badly. There were some good players that Paul Hackett recruited. It was just consistently, there name were other three. Players, name three players that uh, Paul Hackett recruited that were good players. Chris Playborn, yeah, I believe, was a Paul Hackett recruit. See, now you're testing my Paul Hackett knowledge. And I'm knowledge I'm a little system. bit. I'm a little. Yeah, bit. I was just a young pup.
0: I didn't really follow recruiting that much. D- dive deep into those those muscle no memory banks and pull out a name. Um. Oh gosh, man! I'm, I'm, looking, blanking I'm looking on up.
1: everybody now Sorry. that played <laughs> under Paul Hackett. Well, wait, 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 All we got to do was Troy Polamalu, uh was a Paul Hackett recruit. Really? And, and yeah. Well, yeah. I'm trying That's to. Tro- Troy Polamalu. Um, he played under Pete Carroll as well. Uh, so he was he was recruited by Kennedy Polamalu, who I believe was a was a carryover from the Paul Hackett era. I'm not a hundred percent sure of that. Maybe I can't. I can't really remember.
0: Um, this. someone when uh, yeah. they listen to this is going to.
1: I know. I'm us. gonna get. I'm gonna get grilled. Crushed. by the NBA fans They're be like, dude, you're Crushed. such a Johnny
0: Come Lately. Listen. You're such a casual you're such a filthy casual a filthy casual,
1: right. casual but listen I, I i i lived through the clay hate elton era so um i've i've done my time <laughs> but um but i'm pretty sure Troy Paul uh, you know seeing that he actually played for Pete Carroll and will was probably recruited by the Paul Hackett staff and then Carson Palmer i think was recruited by Paul Hackett i believe i
0: believe i'm i'm trying to confirm I'm say all this this
1: Palmer Troy Paul and i'm going to say uh, who was the first uh, player that i said
0: so he, he was there 98 to 2000. Uh, USC. What did you say?
1: Troy Paul Malu.
0: I'm trying to confirm it right now. This is, this is like a live thing we're doing uh, right yeah, now. Yeah, this
1: is a live thing. This, is this what feels like saying. a live thing. He just throws gauntlets
0: out there. I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> what would this happen? Is, this is what has would happened. Did
1: you have a seizure trying to remember back in the days a lot of Trojan fans don't even like you saying that name. This is like Voldemort, you know. You don't talk about that Let's name. Say Voldemort?
0: Voldemort.
1: Voldemort. Whatever, dude. I'm not a Harry <laughs> Potter nerd. I'm just saying it's like one of those names that you're not supposed to it say. It says
0: Claiborne graduated in 96.
1: He, I know he played for P, uh, under Paul Hackett 100%, but I,
0: I think he yeah, I think he was a junior.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if he was actually recruited by that staff. I feel like he was because the staff before that, I believe, was what, the Tollner staff? The donor? I mean, guys, I'm not that old. So I don't go back as far as Ryan does with this stuff. So, But I'm I'm thinking, yes, um, Chris Claiborne was recruited by the Paul Hackett staff. Uh, see, I played against Chris in high school. So I think I think he was Paul Hackett. And I think Carson Palmer was Paul Hackett. And I'm pretty sure Troy Polamalu were Paul Hackett. That, those are three all-time great players, by the way. I mean, they're – Really, really, really good players. You know, we're talking about NFL first round picks there. And but it was inconsistent because at the same time, you also had a bunch of other good players that were leaving the state. And we got a question about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, have have you seen a point in time? Actually, it was a Harvey um, Hyde podcast that I was doing on sign uh, as no, no, it was a radio show that we were doing on signing day. It was maybe the day after signing day. And he asked me, you know, have have you ever seen so many kids locally leave the state? Is is this a new thing? And I think he was thinking it was a new thing. I said, no, man. Kyle Wright, DJ Williams, Kevin Simon, Kevin Burnett, um, Niall Diggs. I can list name after name after name of good players who left locally. And it was because USC was not playing well. They were not nationally relevant. And so this is something that you will see from California players and Southern California players specifically. And I think the reasoning is because a lot of people, a lot of families in Southern California are originally from somewhere else. They were not generations of families that, you know, grew up here in Southern California. A lot of people moved from Southern California, from Louisiana, from back east somewhere uh, like you, Chris, you know, you moved out here. You I did. Out, you, know, you were. You were. You had stars in your eyes. You wanted to be a Hollywood actor. And two stars you, in my eyes. Two stars. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people that come here and they're transplants, and so they've got family and they've got roots other places, and so it's very easy for them to look outside of California because they've got family there, and they, every summer those kids are going back to visit your aunts and uncles, grandparents, etc. And that's not necessarily true of some of those families that are from Mississippi or from Ohio or from you know Florida where th- that's just where they have grown up probably not Florida as much I think Florida's also a little bit like that you got a lot of carpetbaggers but I think you know the deep south and the midwest and some of those places people have lived there for generations and generations man going way way back they might have lived in the same house the families have grown up there so you know it's much different with with people out here I think that are are much um I don't want to say more worldly, but they certainly have come from other places and are not so afraid to go back places and travel and have connections other places. And so I think that's why when you don't have relevant football out here and you don't have people out here that are you know taking football seriously and they are other places, I think that's why you know kids are so quick to leave and and not uh, and not just go to USC because it's USC. It's like they go to USC because it's USC, but They also have to win some championships. They often show that there is player development there from the university and the football program.
0: I just want to give you some updates. Troy Polamalu was a Paul Hackett recruit. He was a freshman in 99, so Paul Hackett's second year. And it looks like you were correct about Carson Palmer, a freshman in 98. So there you go.
1: There you go. I'll give you you those two. And again, I mean, those are good players, man. Those are all-time – Trojans, right there. You got a fifty-five, and you got a Heisman Trophy winner, and you got one of the best safeties in the NFL, a, a Pro Bowler, and a guy that's going to be in the Hall of Fame, or I think he's already been in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Paul Mallow already got in the He's Hall got Fame, his so, jacket, yeah. So I mean, you know, that's that's you can't say that Paul Hackett's staffs didn't recruit or they didn't have good players. They did. That's why I've always been on the side of X's and O's beat Jimmys and Joes. You can get good players, man, but if you do not have the culture and you do not have the play calling and the development, the whole package from the coaching standpoint, you're just going to have teams that are completely underutilizing their talent. And we've seen that in college football, not just with USC, but Florida State, Miami. I mean you look at Miami now and you look at Florida State, those teams still got tons of talent. It, it, it just takes the right coaching staff to come in there and turn that
0: corner. Let's move on to something that Paul Hackett did not have to deal with back in 1998. That's Vold- NIL. Voldemort. What do you think? <laughs> it's Voldemort? Voldemort. Voldemort. I thought it was Voldemort or something no, like that. No, it's Voldemort. All right, there you go. You, you, so, you're going to have a bunch of people questioning you about your Paul Hackett recruiting knowledge, and now you're going to have a bunch of Harry Potter people questioning you about your lack of pronunciation for Voldemort?
1: The more you know. Well,
0: you know what? There was
1: just a Hogwarts game that just came out. So, it's uh I'm sure all the peristylers are on there, you know, living out their Harry Potter fantasies.
0: Gerard, not a magic guy. I take it. A magic guy? Yeah, magic. Like (laughs) Harry Potter's magic. What do you mean? That's the correct word, magic.
1: Sci-fi guy or fantasy guy. I am a high fantasy guy. I mean, I love... uh, High fantasy? Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The the Silmarian. I can't ever pronounce that properly. I've read the book twice and freaking can't say it. But, um, I mean, I know a little bit about Harry Potter, but apparently I do not know how to say the man's name, if he's a man even, that you're not supposed to say. You know, I mean, Tom Riddle. There you go. Let's just call him
0: Tom Riddle. Okay, fair enough.
1: Ooh, see, I put it on you there. Okay, clap back.
0: Well, let's talk about something uh, Tom Riddle did not have to deal with in 1998. That is NIL. Gerard, we have a pretty big nil usc update from this morning that hit now we heard what what a segue yeah i nailed that segue i nailed that segue but something
1: that tom riddle didn't have to
0: do yeah look i i put all those pieces together and here we are for our second point which is the tommy group a new nil collective that is partnering with usc now we had heard about the tommy group for a couple of months something we've talked about in the war room or alluded to in the war room. This is more so Ryan Abraham's expertise and beat with the war room postings. But the atomic group has been a name we've heard before. It has been marked official through their press release this morning. Now we're not going to get super, super into it. We're kind of more just reacting to the news of this new NIO collective joining USC's already, you know, interesting NIL model with Boulevard. Stay doubted, whatever that means. But the significant part about Tommy Group is that it is led by six uh, entrepreneurs as they are uh, six, quote-unquote, high-powered entrepreneurs, uh, two of them being former USC players, Keyshawn Johnson and Alex Holmes. Uh, There's also John Terizian, Dave Stromberg. Uh, Avi Chesed and Michael Hahn. I wonder if any of those people listen to this very specific USC podcast. Interesting to know. Uh, the Tommy Group also put in their press release that they have worked, they have worked with eighty college athletes as to date, including USC Heisman winner Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams was quoted in the story or the press release. I'm happy to partner with the Tommy Group as their guidance and expertise has been valuable to me and my teammates. I look forward to seeing all the different ways they can provide support for not only my team, but other athletes in this new era of college, in this new NIL era era of college sports, excuse me. So there is a new NIL challenger, competitor, sheriff, I don't know what we want to call it. But the big question is, what does this mean for the Boulevard model? will Boulevard remain is stay doubted. Still a thing where that is a third party NIL partnership that USC signed to deal with back in June of 2022, the LA times put out there on Twitter uh, this morning about the news that Boulevard, you know, stated there, you know, it's not a competition. It's just another uh, asset out there for athletes to participate in. So I guess they see them more as a, a booster sorry, not booster, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Compliment, uh, just a different avenue to to help with the NIL space, not necessarily a competitor, like it felt with uh, the other group whose name I'm blanking on.
1: You're talking about SBR? SBR,
0: student body right. Yes, thank you. Student body right with them, which is more sort of a competition, so we'll see how this relationship grows with Tommy Group and the Boulevard, but I guess the big question is, will Boulevard have a future with USC now that there's a, this new group coming in? Interesting, but time will tell. Gerard, can I just get your straight reaction?
1: The question is, is Boulevard the NIL model that lived
0: come to die? See,
1: that's a segue. See, that's that's how you pull it in together,
0: Chris. I like you my know? segue better.
1: No, I, I don't. It was vote, vote in the comments
0: whose segue was better.
1: I'm handed, sir. I think it's interesting that Caleb Williams is promoting the Tommy Group, and certainly we have seen a shift in terms of where USC wants to go. Now, model-wise, this is the big question. How will Tommy Group differ in how they handle donations and how they raise money as opposed to Boulevard? Because Boulevard was created somewhat as a proxy. Now, I understand a lot of people had questions about management, and I know that there's going to be and there has already been some personnel changes within Boulevard. And that's not really there for me to report at this point, but there's been changes within Boulevard. So this is not just a new group that's coming in and, like you said, a complement to the Boulevard model. It sounds like there's going to be changes with Boulevard as well. So, you know, what changes in terms of philosophy and the actual functionality, we don't know. It kind of depends on who you talk to and what USC wants to back the most is still a matter of opinion. And it seems like Tommy group is now sort of the favorite son. But again, what how do they differ from Boulevard? You know, are they just acting as a, a proxy of sorts and they will sell goods? and they will have autographs and things of that nature, or is there going to be a little bit more direct connection with the boosters, which I think at this point in time seems like the most efficient model that schools are using to raise money for NIL. They don't want to have a middleman there. It's the boosters themselves and the guys writing the checks and the girls writing the checks for whatever it is player-wise, whether it's player representation, uh, player endorsements, or actually getting into the recruiting aspect of things. And we don't know for sure how involved Tommy Group will be involved with the latter. Uh, that was something that SBR had no interest in. SBR was going to be completely about uh, on-roster uh, representation, endorsement, and also you know the retention of keeping players on the roster, which we've talked about before. Everybody gets wrapped up in the recruiting aspect of, you know, potentially bringing guys in and getting them paid, which is a slippery slope. And that's what USC has tried to keep away from is the inducement aspect that we've seen with so many collectives and the things we're hearing about players and prospects getting paid up front to commit, and then getting paid more money when they actually sign. Uh, for a lot of these teams, the most important thing may actually become retention. And when you're talking about transfers, that's also sort of part of that as well, because Guys are not going to transfer to a school if they feel like uh, the players at the program already are not happy because they were promised deals that didn't come through. A lot of what's gone on with Texas and m and sort of the turnover there from that 2022 recruiting class that they had was supposedly that some of those deals and some of those promises financially were not upheld. And some of those guys decided, hey, we're going to leave. It wasn't just, hey, they won seven games. and." It doesn't look like the team is going to be as good as they thought it was going to be. No, it was some of the background stuff that came down to NIL. So that's a big deal with a lot of these programs. You know, listen, you can have a great recruiting class and you can sign all these five stars and you can have all these great transfers. But if you don't keep those guys happy and you don't bring together the right mix of guys, then you're going to end up like Texas AM. So that's really sort of the example of. You know, if you don't have good player retention and you're not developing your players and you don't have those guys that are on the roster, you know, it doesn't matter who else you're recruiting and who else you're going to bring in. I mean, Texas A&M brought in a decent recruiting class with some good players. But if the same thing happens again, you know, later this year that happened in late 2022, it's, it's nothing. You're spinning your
0: wheels. Two quick follow ups for me. I personally like saying the Tommy group more than I like saying Boulevard. But that's just me. And then my other one is, what's going to happen with the Taco Show, Gerard? Are they still going to do that?
1: I have no idea. I've never watched the Taco Show. I saw some promotions about it, but I never actually watched it or anything. Uh, again, it's the approach, you know. The, the how do they want to do things? Um, what's important? You know, cutting cutting through the nonsense and just you know getting players the the money that they are worth and the value that they have. And also it's figuring out strategically, you know, what's viable and what's not because there's one thing that we, we kind of heard a little bit about this from a recruiting standpoint. Um, There was some talk when it came to uh, Roger Pleasant and there was an example given of, you know, from, from that standpoint, a high school player that's a two sport athlete, You know, what's the value NIL-wise for him? And there'll be plenty of reports that will tell you, oh, $20 million he got from Oregon, blah, 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 and all that BS. And we know those numbers are completely fake, and it's just people throwing numbers out there to get views and get clicks. It's it's really down to the school. And I think for Oregon, because track and because Nike's involved, you're going to see a lot of those instances – uh, where the value of, of Roger Pleasant to them is going to be more than probably most colleges because you don't have necessarily the track aspect and maybe you don't have that ability to to market that the same way. And uh, Nicholas Harbour was also looking at Oregon, which kind of tells you, you know, they were pushing the Nike aspect and the track aspect. I mean, the Nike aspect with Oregon is always going to be pushed. They are basically, you know, a supplement to everything that they do Recruiting wise, um, but for other players like a Caleb Williams, it's a completely different story. You know, as a quarterback and a guy that is a uh, very marketable, and you can have other you know corporations come in and sort of try to build their brand around somebody like that. That's a different deal. Like that incorporates Hollywood, that incorporates uh, more of the entertainment industry than you would with a guy that's a two-sport athlete and track is that other sport. So. I think for different schools, there's always a different approach and you have to figure out, you know, you have so much money to use. How do you spend that money? You know, what's important to you? And, and for a lot of Trojan fans right now, I can tell you, you know, after signing day and, and it's announced that Roger Pleasant is going to Oregon, a lot of Trojan fans are like, oh, OK, yeah, I mean, you know, not, not really a big loss. They want to hear about who are we getting at offensive tackle? Who Are we getting a defensive tackle? Who are we getting a guard? are we getting a defensive end? They want to know what's happening in the trenches because I think the feeling is with Lincoln Riley there and with the tradition of USC and the local recruiting pool, the local recruiting talent that you get, the consistent recruiting talent that you get in Southern California, quarterbacks, receivers, defensive backs, that's going to take care of itself. What you have to work at is making sure you get the big fellas up front. And so that's when we talk about the 2024 class We talk about going in modern day, getting Brandon Baker, uh, getting DeAndre Carter, and and getting some of those big local linemen and making sure that you're consistent and getting those players first and foremost, everything else sort of falls into place around it. And NIL and an NIL group also has to sort of understand that dynamic. You know, you can throw money at certain players, but you also have to know like what are the who are what's the, the the demographic of talent that you might sway more. With that money than others, right? It's like, okay, maybe we miss out on the top player at this position, but we got two guys behind him that are at that position that we also like, that don't need a big, huge NIL deal. And we can save some of that money and, and parlay it toward another position where that little extra money might go further. You know, it might go further with an offensive guard or an offensive tackle where the depth at that position it's going to be much more difficult for us to be able to fill than at other positions.
0: Drew, you know who would crush a taco show? The Cilantro Boys.
1: I was going to say, it, probably us.
0: We need an NIL deal for a taco show. That's what I'm saying. That is what, we do this podcast over tacos. But like in a, in a in a quicker spurt, like a 30-minute show, which is actually impossible. So forget I even said that. Okay. With that, done with NIL right now, I think we should move on to our next point. That is one USC support staff addition to the football coaching side. That's bookie Radley Hiles. His real name is Brendan. But if you just say bookie, everyone knows who we're talking about, especially in the Southern California recruiting circles. He is going to be added to the support staff as a defensive analyst. Now, if you read my ghost notes all last season, this should come as no surprise to you because bookie, was an, like an unofficial staff member last season. He was at, I would say, oh, I don't know, 90% of USC's practices. He would just show up, stand under the goalposts and watch. He would have a coaching uh, schedule sometimes. He would have the wristbands on with the play call. He would come up to players and say things. He was an unofficial member of that coaching staff. So I am not shocked that he decided to go ahead and make it official uh, in 2023 Will be a defensive analyst. He is a former top 50 prospect from 2018. If you've been following recruiting over the last, you know, 10 years or so, you know who Bookie is. Went to Calabasas, ended up transferring to IMG out in Florida. Signed with Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma over a bevy of high-end Power 5 offers, including USC, Clemson, Florida, a bunch of other ones. I think it's fair to say, you know, didn't quite – live up to, you know, a top fifty ranking that he had, number thirty-eight overall. But he started for, you know, around three years at Oklahoma, racked up 115 tackles, three interceptions, entered the transfer portal, went to Washington for his final season, which was a disastrous team season at four and eight. Jimmy Lake gets fired, all all that. Did not go drafted that spring for the twenty twenty uh for excuse me, the that would have been the twenty twenty one NFL draft did not uh, make it out of camp was waived in the summer, but a guy who can really help on the recruiting front, you know, can be a, a local voice when they bring in kind of these local guys on official visit, that's visits that's already happening as Gerard will probably mention here in a couple seconds, but bookie a nice addition to the support staff, you know, as a defensive analyst, see if he can, grow his, his coaching future, see what that looks like, but also could be a very good recruiter uh, in the future as well.
1: And USC support staff wise have lost some good recruiters and not really replaced them. And I think where they've improved is certainly the logistics aspect of recruiting Annie Hansen and her group, getting players on campus and getting them on and off in campus quickly. Everybody talked about how much more organized unofficial visits were at USC when Lincoln Riley took over. And I think that has a lot to do with Annie Hansen and them being able to just, uh, you know, have everything organized and, and know what they want to get done minute by minute and maneuver these visits to try to get the most out of them. But I've always said every minute that you have a recruit on campus, you got to try to recruit them. You know, don't waste a lot of time with history lessons. Don't waste a lot of time with nonsense that isn't salesmanship. Like you really need to take every moment you can to sell, sell, sell. And however you do that. And I think we have former players and guys that sort of know the the game. They know the process. Uh, it very much helps. You know, I, I think, uh, Armond Hawkins was somebody who was very successful as a support staff member at USC as a recruiter uh, because he kind of knew the game. And he knew modern-day recruiting. He knew the passing leagues. He knew the trainers. He understood, like, the whole offseason process and the influencers that are around these kids, the champions of these circles, and knew how to play those angles. And I think Bookie is in that, that le- league as well because he kind of grew up in passing leagues, in camps. He had been around it because his brother Lucky Radley, who we knew was a big personality, uh, he ended up going to Utah and playing. Um, he was a guy that uh, was at all these events and and very involved, and his family was involved. And I mean, I, I have stories about Lucky that I can't share, but stuff that you know, he was just a funny guy that we all knew, and he was in everything. It connections with everybody, and and Buki sort of was always like the little kid that was just his shadow sort of following around. And and it's just funny, you know, when he grew up and he actually became a recruit himself, uh, but he was bouncing around and, he, you know, he was, uh, was offered a scholarship very early by USC wasn't really recruited by USC though. I think when it came to his junior senior season, you know, USC wasn't really super involved in his recruitment and it definitely looked like he was going to go elsewhere. And I think a lot of people doubted him because of his size. He was, you know, a 5'9", sort of safety. And a lot of people are always looking for those guys that are six one, six two, 6'2". But he was a very productive player, and he was a very good player in high school. And, you know, he was rated kind of high, uh, but I thought he was uh, very good at Oklahoma. He was a good player, and he was very productive. And um, I think, you know, you're starting at a Power 5 school, and you're actually making an impact. You're, you're doing pretty well for yourself. You know, everybody has those NFL ambitions, but that's, you know, the 1% of the 1%. Uh, truth be told, you get a co- cup of coffee uh, in the NFL, and that's uh, kind of amazing. So I think having somebody who's just younger sort of, again, knows that process um, off the field. You know, it's not the high school football, you know, during the season. There's so many other people that make impacts and have influences in these prospects' lives that are not a part of that necessarily directly, you know, the high school football angle of it uh, during the season. That is very good just to understand that and to know that. And that just getting guys on campus, you know, helping to get them on campus. And then again, when you have somebody there that can be in front of them uh, every minute they're on campus, man, when you, you just get that ability to sell. And, and when I mean sell, I don't mean sit there and give your spiel about USC, but selling through just relating to those prospects and, and making them feel comfortable. That is some of the, the greatest angles that you can play recruiting. And that's a reason why a lot of these guys go to some schools over other schools because it's the comfort level. And one example of that already is Jason Mitchell Jr., the uh, former uh, Gardena Serra athlete who played at Gardena Serra last year. He's now transferred over to St. John Bosco. He played cornerback, played quarterback, played wide receiver at Serra. He's uh, now kind of locked into playing defensive back. We saw him playing for premium uh, a couple weeks ago during the passing down. And uh, USC is recruiting him as a defensive back. Kind of interesting because there's been a little bit of chatter. Like maybe they want to move him up and be more of a nickel backer type of player. And he's six four hundred ninety five pounds-ish. And so I can see that a little bit. You know, he's a little thin. But everybody's looking for the next Eric Gentry, right? I mean, that's become a, a little bit of a meme almost uh, on the pair style where, you know, anybody who's kind of tall and lanky <laughs> who – isn't necessarily like a for sure defensive back everybody says well you know you can move him a linebacker maybe he'll be the next eric gentry um i'm not sure that's going to be uh jason mitchell but um he's a guy that spoke very highly of bookie radley hiles like he talked about how he's a mentor and he's the kind of guy that you know he's going to be a straight shooter with you and you can relate to him and you can really trust in him and that was like a huge addition to the usc support staff and a huge uh reason why jason mitchell felt like that was like the best visit that he's had because, you know, Buki Radley, Ryle, uh, Hiles was around and you felt like, you know, that's somebody that you can really relate to and you can talk to. And I think, you know, Gavin Morris has been a guy that's been on the staff that's been that guy for a long time, but Gavin's getting farther and farther removed from, you know, the passing uh, circuit and uh, you know, the the sort of ebb and flow of everything that goes on. And so I think it is good to have sort of that new blood in there from those guys who, have just experienced it, you know they've come away from it and and they 've been around it you know a little more recently because it does change to some extent, and you do have different players and you do have different things that go on and especially now with nil it's going to be very important to to have some young guys on your support staff that have been through these 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 odd situations with nil and and what 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 schools are saying and what the people on the peripherals of the school are saying and you know, you've got these sort of trainers and, and these lawyers and people that are getting into your DMs and talking about that stuff. And it's very important for you as a coaching staff to just know the angles and just understand what is out there and what are some of the sort of tricks and the the little, little sort of uh, loopholes that other staffs might be using and saying to kids to try to get them on campus and try to
0: get them committed. I'm sure throughout the course of spring, where we're out there at 7 on 7 events and in the summer... We're going to hear Boogie's name come up a lot more in our interviews with these these kids, especially the local ones. Now, Gerard, speaking of, as you just mentioned, you know, when you get the kids on campus, spend that time recruiting. Get them. Don't, don't waste your time when you have them on campus. Well, we have some kids that will have confirmed that they're already going to be on campus over during the spring and the summer. And sit, hear me out. Don't hear me out. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> look Look! Look! at the pattern here, Gerard. All three are from the DMV. How does that sound? Well, pray tell. What what names and
1: what recruits are we talking about?
0: We are talking about three individuals that are kind of from the same region in Maryland. The first one is Jalen Harvey, an edge rusher out of Quincy Orchard from Gaithersburg, Maryland. He came out and told uh, Brian Doan, did an interview with him, that he will be taking an official visit to usc in the summer so he's already setting those visits up for the summer and one of those is going to go to the trojans i believe he's going to see ohio state the weekend after he goes to usc but he has not visited usc but sean Nua has been recruiting him sean Nua stopped by uh quincy orchard uh during the spring of or the evaluation period and i'm sure he's gonna stop by stop out stop out there again but Jalen Harvey looks like they're going to get a DMB edge rusher on campus for an official visit. Speaking of edge rushers, they are also going to get a pair of teammates out of Herbert Flowers High School, uh, the first one being Obina Onwuka, a three-star edge rusher out of Flowers, 6'3", 225 pounds. USC offered him uh, earlier last month, uh, excuse me, in January. I got to talk with him a little bit. He is currently... Undergoing his wrestling season, so he's a multi multi multi-sport athlete. He'll be making the visit out with his Flowers teammate Mike Williams, a six foot seven, three hundred and ten-pound offensive tackle. Originally started playing his, his playing career at St. Francis in Baltimore, Maryland. Was a teammate of Sam Green. Sam Green actually was the one who called him up and put Josh Henson on the phone to give him his offer. So they have a relationship. Sam Green is already in his ear about getting him out to become a Trojan. So they're going to take that trip together. That is going to be on April 8th. They both tweeted out they're going to be visiting on the same date. Their teammates are going to visit together, check out some spring practices. So, yeah, USC already has a filled DMV visitor list.
1: I think it's definitely interesting that Jalen Harvey is already talking about official visit. At this point, it's pretty early to be setting official visits. I mean, maybe this is a new trend where schools are trying to already nail down these dates because we know there's really only three weeks that you get in June to get official visits. And a lot of these kids want to make decisions before the start of their senior season. I think some of that is maybe going to trend away. Because of NIL and kids are trying to get as many offers and as many looks as possible. And so maybe you see more commitments sort of drag out. But it's definitely interesting. I mean, this is one of the earliest set official visit dates uh, that has been supposedly (laughs) been given the green light by USC. Now, it's June 17th. So that is the weekend of the Golden Hour. Uh, last Part 2? last year that was the weekend it was the 16th and the 17th which those kids came in it was that second week of june where they have the golden hour so it's going to be interesting to see if that's going to be usc's weekend again i mean there was some criticism you know you got to be have you know these kids come in the last weekend you don't want them going from your school to another school and then you know you get uh, a, a lot of uh, Kids that you know, sort of the last thing they hear, the last person in their ear, that's the school that they commit to. Ohio State, if I recall, uh, had a lot of those kids come in the last weekend of June as well. So they certainly want to pin down to that last weekend of June. So it's interesting to see, you know, how this is all going to shake out. Everybody's trying to maneuver for visit dates. If that's how it shakes out, and a lot of the out-of-state guys that are going to come in are going to come in that second week of June. And then it's basically hold your breath and see who goes where the last week in the June.
0: But any takeaways from it being three DMV guys?
1: No, out-of-state guys. Um, now, with the two others, Obina and Williams, coming in in April, that's not official visits, correct? Those are unofficial visits. Those are
0: unofficial visits. Visit. Those are unofficial visits. Right, I think They're going to come out and check it out for spring.
1: Can't take official visits until I think it's like April 22nd, I think is the, the date. But you can actually take official visits in late April and in May. That's not utilized very much by recruits. And I think it's because most coaching staffs don't want kids coming in because you've got the May evaluation period. So most of your coaches are on the road, and they don't want to come all the way back from you know maybe being a Texas or being back east to be on campus to have to host official visits. So you usually only get one weekend in May where school might have a few guys come in on official visits. Uh, but you do have the ability to bring those guys in in late April and uh, May. But it seems like most schools would rather hold their official visits uh, during during June. That's, that's when you have it. And you have some midweek visits, and, and USC had some of those. But really it seemed like, man, the vast majority of guys they brought in uh, during the summer, they came in that second week of June. They had like four visitors first week, and then everybody came in that second week. And then they had uh, Landon Hatchett, I think, came in like as a midweek visit uh, and, and, and it wasn't even the last weekend. it was sort of like a Monday Tuesday visit. He was the uh, center prospect out of Washington and um, you know ended up committing to Washington. Uh, but that was uh, you know uh, before Michael Manuelos committed to USC and I think Michael Manuelos was like uh, you know sort of the number one top guy on the board as a center prospect for so USC you know we talked about this last week in terms of grading, assessing where the golden hour. Uh, sort of played out and, and whether it was a success or not. I think it was a success. I think any time you get close to 50%, you have that many recruits on campus. I think it's a success. Now, this year, I think expectations will be even higher because USC has established that they are on the upcoming turnaround. They have uh, put an 11 game win season behind them. Uh, Lincoln Riley has established that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be competing to be in the college football playoff. And so I think there's a lot less. A faith that has to be put into the coaching staff and what's going to happen. There's a little bit of proof of concept, as Lincoln Riley has said, and that's going to, I think, lock up more guys. There's going to be expectations, at least, of locking up more of those top players. It's not going to be, hey, we want to put a good foot forward and get your attention. It's, you know, we want to end your recruitment right now. So you're going to have probably more expectations of some of those guys that have maybe a, a visit weekend there uh, in, you know, that June 25th weekend. They don't go to Ohio State. They don't go to Texas. They don't go to Oregon. They don't go anywhere. They shut it down uh, almost immediately after that USC visit. I, I would expect that there's going to be a, a certain push to make that happen maybe more this year than there was last year.
0: And we would classify all three of the guys we just mentioned, Jalen Harvey, Abina, Anwuka, and Mike Williams. Would you we categorize those as uh, traction visits as we define them?
1: Right here, right now. but. With Abina and Williams coming in April 8th, I think if they follow up with official visits in June, then no. I think you could be potentially in a position where you say, you know, we, we're ready to lock one of those guys down. They've been here unofficially already. You know, they've gotten a feel for a Los Angeles. They've gotten a feel for the travel. They've gotten a feel for the coaching staff in person and the team. You know, now we can push forward. It's really the guys that haven't ever been on campus or they're the type of players that You just get the vibe like you know, they've got Alabama, they've got all these other schools that seemingly seem to have uh, an an advantage either because they've been to those schools more or they just have a connection with a coach somewhere and USC is trying to make up ground. But I think with those two players, USC could potentially be in a position where they're actually trying to close the deal on those two players. But with Harvey having never been to USC and that probably being his first visit, Uh, yeah, he might be a little more of a traction guy. I think Penn State right now is thought to be the overall favorite for his signature. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, let's move on to another big-time recruit who I felt like we've talked about maybe for the last four shows, but I think we're going to make it five, and that is Pinnacle tight end Deuce Robinson. There has been sort of a, not like a major update with his recruitment, but there has been an interesting little wrinkle that's happened, especially uh, in terms of when it comes to Georgia, and their recruiting staff, their highly sought-after offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, has taken a job with the Baltimore Ravens to be their OC. So he's making the jump to college, or excuse me, to the NFL after winning a couple national championships with the Bulldogs. Now, Gerard, once this happened, I got flooded with a bunch of messages and people hitting me up like, what does this do does this lock up deuce robinson to usc how does this impact deuce robinson what's the deal what's the deal what's going on and i guess i'm gonna get your thoughts in a second but i guess my initial reaction to it was well yes i would say you know it, it does help a little bit just because their high-powered oc is leaving but i don't think it, it's anything that would you know lock up anybody's recruitment. Well, he probably did have a good relationship with Munken. You know, Georgia is promoting from within their staff. Mike Bobo is going to be the new OC. He's previously been on the staff. There's probably already a relationship. And it's Georgia. They're fine. They just won a national championship. I, th- I don't think Deuce is worried about them finding another good replacement or high-level replacement in that sense. Still going to be a very tight end heavy offense moving forward, especially with the weapons that they have there now. Brock Bowers. And yeah, that that's it, it's sort of yeah, good thing for USC, but it's not you know uh, it doesn't lock Deuce Robinson into the Trojans in any sense. That's kind of where I'm at it. I'm with it uh, with the what that's my reaction, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say because everyone wants to know what you have to say about about that. My
1: vibe is that Deuce saw this coming because Georgia. Getting closer to signing day, the last week or so seemed to fade a little more. We got a lot more talk that this was a USC Texas battle, which was surprising because up until that point, it was all about Georgia. He's going to Georgia, he's going to Georgia. And it made sense, obviously. You're talking about, you know, national champion. They utilize the tight end quite a bit in their offense. And the baseball team has been more relevant, you know, more recently. Than USC's baseball program, so it all made sense. It was one of those recruitments that you know we talked about at the uh, top of the podcast how the 2024 class right now, as it sits, is so illogical. It's so bizarre uh, how that's sort of shaken out to this point. That's not true of Deuce Robinson's uh, recruitment. It's been very logical, and you go, okay. I mean, you know what makes sense, okay? Texas, yeah, they use the tight end a lot, and these buddies with Arch Manning and. You know, you've got Georgia there. Okay, they use the tight end a lot. Basically, every school that he's looking at used the tight end a lot more in the passing game than USC did. USC is a school that has the best relationship with him. USC is a school where he's most comfortable, I think, with the players and the recruits coming in, and it's close. And I think he just likes USC for a lot of reasons. But in terms of the pros and cons on paper, in terms of his career – You can make a good argument for him going to Georgia. But nevertheless, the talk was more about USC and Texas, which was surprising. And, you know, some of those sources are more on USC side of things. And the reads have not always been very good there. So you're taking that with a grain of salt. But I think at this point, seeing that Malkin's left, I think he saw this coming and had a good feel that there was going to be a change of guard. Now, I don't know the relationship that he has with Mike Bobo. And I don't know that some of this time is not time that he has already thought I can use to get a feel for what the new offense is going to look like at Georgia. Is it going to change a whole lot? You know, what's the feel for, you know, my position and and sort of how things settle there? Um, Moreover, I think that the baseball talk has gotten more serious. He obviously came out here and had a workout with the Dodgers and I think he got some pretty good feedback from that positive feedback enough so that he does want to sort of see how much more information he can get coming up to that point now we've said previously and maybe this was more for just the war room but talking to shotgun spradling who knows infinitely more he's forgotten more about baseball than I will ever know and Blair Angulo, who also knows a lot about baseball and is a guy that played a lot of baseball growing up and follows MLB and follows the minor leagues. Third-round evaluation is sort of the line that we think uh, the window, I guess you would say, for Deuce Robinson in terms of going MLB or going to college because of the bonus money that's involved. And we're really weighing bonus money from the minor leagues and from the MLB Comparing that with what you might be able to get with NIL, because now NIL does make going to college somewhat lucrative, especially for two sport athletes. And so this is kind of an interesting aspect where you're sort of trying to see, you know, how much money from an evaluation standpoint uh, is Major League Baseball going to put forward for Deuce? Now, you know, Shotgun made a point saying, you know, he could get. Drafted in the fourth round, he could get drafted in the fifth round and still get more money. Nobody says that you know you have to pay a player a certain amount just based on his draft, right? You could see that you know he has more value than that and you overpay, but that's probably an exception to the rule more than the rule. You know, normally the negotiate the deals are negotiated by what round you go and what players go in front of you, etc. So we still kind of think that this is going to be one of those things where if he's not confident that he can be a third round or higher pick, then he probably does go to college and he gets a nice NIL deal and he plays both football and he plays baseball. There's no way he's going to go minor leagues and play football. Okay, so, you know, that's going to be off the table. If he decides to go that route, he will have to play baseball exclusively. And then if it doesn't work out, you know, perhaps he comes back to football. It, it does, You don't see it very often, but there have been obviously quarterbacks that have come back from the minor leagues and they have played football. Drew Henson, uh, Chris Winkie was a player. Mostly quarterbacks have done that. You know, we haven't seen that with other skill positions, but there's always, I guess, that potential that he could come back and work his body back into the football shape and still have some value and, you know, go to college for a couple of years and then see if he can get into the NFL from a couple of years of college. But I think if it's not third round and bonus money, again, it's the bonus money that you get from uh, from that level of draft pick. That is going to be the difference between him deciding, you know, this is too lucrative. This is too much guaranteed money to turn away from. As opposed to, you know what, I can get some good money from NIL, which is not as guaranteed. You know, it's not sort of as at least, you know, on the books, you know, legally schools are not allowed to say, hey, this is how much we can guarantee to give you. Um, You know, obviously the collectives might be able to say things and there are certain conversations behind closed doors, but you'll get a pretty decent deal from somebody. And then, you know, he'll play both sports, which I think, you know, he still enjoys both sports. I don't think he necessarily wants to walk away from football. If he did, he would have already done that. Um, I think he wants to play football also. And I think he sees himself physically probably fitting in more as a football player than a baseball player. I mean, there's not a lot of 6'6", 250-pound baseball players. And he's all that. You know, he's not, we've talked about in the past, a guy that I would confuse with Drake London uh, physically, you know, Drake London was a wiry sort of shooting guard type of body. Deuce Robinson is more of a traditional tight end type of body. I mean, he's like an NFL looking tight end. He's a big dude, and so yeah, I can see where you know he's looking at himself and his own evaluation and analysis of himself physically and his family, and they're they're thinking about this. And you're looking at okay, what do we see from baseball players mostly? You know, again, we're talking about the rule instead of the exception to the rule. And what do we see in football players mostly that are his age? And certainly physically he's uh, built more like a football player.
0: So would you say it's more USC versus baseball than USC versus Texas?
1: That's tough. I, I You know, USC has been there. And again, it's not always seemed like the most logical pick for him. Uh, but they have always sort of been there. And and so we've gone through Georgia, having a surge. You know, Texas has, has, has sort of been talked about a bit. But I don't know if Texas has ever, like, really been, like, considered the favorite. Oregon's sort of in there as well. There's some talk about Oregon. But I don't think as a – USC ju- fans I want don't want to hear
0: that. They don't want yeah, to hear you say Oregon.
1: Sorry, but <laughs> I don't think that they have as much cachet – and and certainly Deuce, and we talked about this with Roger Pleasant and him being a track athlete. I think that works more with Oregon and their NIL and Nike than baseball does. So I don't think they necessarily swoop in and have that same type of deal and they have that same type of approach. I think that you know USC has been consistently there. Um, I don't know if I, I could say that USC is the leader though because. I think at one point, Georgia was definitely a leader. I I think that, you know, coming up, you know, before the national championship game, early signing period, everything we were hearing outside of USC sources was Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. And the way things have gone over the past two recruiting cycles, you kind of think that's probably where he would have gone. You know, the optimism coming from, you know, commits and other players and other people that we talked to with USC. We've heard that with other players before and they've gone elsewhere. So I think, you know, he was definitely feeling Georgia a lot, but I think he saw the coaching change coming. And, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe there's other things that, that are also sort of at play as well. Um, USC's been there despite of, again, the the lack of tight end utilization. And um, you know, they're they're obviously not winning games to the level of Georgia, uh, but certainly they are on par with with Texas and Oregon at this point winning 11 games last season and the feeling that the best football of this program is ahead of them with Lincoln Riley.
0: I think that's a good place to end the first half of our show unless there's anything else you want to mention about Deuce Robinson.
1: No we talked about Deuce like you said every week but it's a five-star guy one of the top uh, players uh, on USC's board for the 2023 class which is Still open-ended with Deuce Robinson out there. Um, we can't put that class to bed quite yet. And so we'll continue to try to update you. And, you know, there hasn't been a a real, you know, like huge recruiting update just coming from uh, the, the fact that he did not sign on signing day. And it sounds like he wants to make a decision sometime, maybe early summer. Like we're talking about May. And I think that the the draft is actually in June. So we'll see how that dynamic works as well, you know, as we get closer. It, it wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden he just decided to pop and, and commit somewhere out of nowhere. And, you know, that, that, that could definitely happen. He just kind of gets tired of the process and decides, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to play baseball and football. And certainly I think that would be the decision if he, if he made the decision early. I think it would just be that he feels like he wants to go and continue to play football and uh, baseball together, and so he's going to go to a college and he would just, boom, commit and sign. So uh, if it happens early, that's, what I think, the way he would go. Uh, but at this point, in terms of, like, where he's leaning and what have you, I don't know that we have any clearer picture at this point. USC's definitely still in it. Uh, they're still involved. In, and the last that we really heard was more Texas USC. So it's not, again, really an update from the live show that we had on signing day, uh, but uh, nevertheless, that's a sort of where things stand uh, at this point from what we've heard
0: and with that let's take our break for the first half of the show when we come back we'll talk some spring football stuff gerard's experience at passing down some new offers some top schools lists and then we'll do some listener questions so we'll be right back after this break
1: progressive casualty
0: insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law gerard how was your break
1: as always i'm energized by the break music
0: thank you for that sarcastic response and here we are second half of the show we have a bunch of topics we can talk about i kind of want to start with the the quicker stuff first if that's okay with you
1: hey man you start wherever you want to start you're the host of the two-star podcast
0: well, I am the co-host, the one-star co-host. You are the other host, if you will. But let's start with kind of the quick hitter stuff. You know, the 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 minutia of recruiting, some top schools lists, some scholarship offers. USC, a couple scholarship offers out recently. Uh, Kansas City offensive tackle, four-star consensus, four-star prospect, Andrew Sprague, uh, six foot eight, two hundred and ninety pounds. I'll have a little bit more about him in the war room coming up for friday so stay tuned for that van nuys athlete Peyton waters 2024 uh andrew sprog is also 2024 paint waters is a three-star prospect seems like usc is looking at him for the defensive side of the ball looks like alex grinch is the one who went ahead and made that offer and then mission viejo sophomore cornerback dijon lee 2025 gerard correct me if i'm wrong this is the the player that you we saw at rising stars that you really liked I think he was
1: at the second invite camp. You were at that camp. You weren't at Mm Lightning Stars, I don't think. So the
0: The elite camp,
1: invitational elite camp that they had. Yes, he was one of uh, you know a handful of guys that kind of stood out to us. Dakota Fields was also at that camp. The six three hundred and seventy five pound cornerback from Sarah High School. But Dijon Lee might have been our top overall performer. Um, you know, Jordan Anderson, a wide receiver from Long Beach Milliken, was there. But Dijon Lee's a good 6'4", 175, 180 pounds, and play corner and looked just very fluid. I was surprised he walked away from that camp without a scholarship offer.
0: Well, it comes right now. Uh, Gerard, he is officially on the 2025 board as an offer. Get ready to add them to your target list in a couple years. Uh, USC also offered a four-star corner, uh, excuse me, safety out of Cincinnati, Ohio Coy Beasley, so that's another offer that is on the table, but just a little more offers. Not quite the offer spree that USC had uh, a couple months ago in the month of January and earlier February, but USC still dishing out some offers, and I'm sure we're going to see some more before the the month's end. Uh, Some top schools list, which I know Gerard doesn't really like, and most people don't really like at all, but I just wanted to mention them. You have West Bloomfield four-star defensive lineman Brandon Davis Swain. He put out a top 11. That includes Purdue, Penn State, Michigan, Colorado, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Auburn, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Kentucky, and the Trojans. Brandon Davis Swain was a former Notre Dame commit. Just based on what the Notre Dame site was saying, it doesn't seem like he has a very good chance of ending backup as a does doesn't end up as a fighting Irish commit once again. So this feels more like a top 10 and Notre Dame is just in there for, for optics look for them, you know, like I'll keep, keep Notre Dame in there, but he took a, I believe he took a visit to Notre Dame or excuse me, to USC for the Notre Dame game at the end of the regular season, part of that big recruiting visit weekend. I don't so think we'll
1: he actually made that trip. Okay. I- I, I,
0: I also did name. not believe he made it too but I just saw him on the visitor list but I don't yeah, remember that, sure.
1: not on our visitor list it, it was floated around out there but I to my knowledge he didn't actually make that trip. And like you said, I think Notre Dame is a nod to fighting Irish fans and probably the coaching staff and you know doesn't want any hard feelings and that's kind of how you end up sometimes um, on that list uh, when the top schools come out after you decommitted. you know in some cases, Kid is going to consider um, the school going forward, but a lot of times I think the ratio of decommits uh, to recommitting is pretty low for for prospects, which is interesting because, you know, we have a few decommitments in the 2024 class for USC, as we talked about at the top of the podcast.
0: And then the other list out there, Bookie, another Bookie, Bookie Pickett Jr., he put out his top nine, a, a Florida edge rusher, Consensus four-star prospect, USC made that group. Seems like he's more so maybe an Ohio State lean. His dad played at Miami. His uncle was Ryan Pickett, a former first-round draft pick, defensive tackle, out of Ohio State. Jr. had 33 sacks last season as a junior, which is just ridiculous. So he is an edge rusher. USC in that top nine. I don't have the schools in front of me, but I'll just let you know they are a bunch of really, really good Power 5 schools. And then four-star... St. Francis Baltimore cornerback Ify Obadegwu put out a top seven that featured USC. Obviously, USC has some ties to St. Francis through Sam Green. So we'll see if USC can get him on campus for a visit this spring. Maybe an official visit. We'll see if they can keep making, uh, staying alive in his cuts as he moves through the top school. But those are just some top schools that came out over the last week. And some new offers that are on the board for the Trojans. Gerard, unless there's anything else, I'm going to move on.
1: No, um, I think with uh, Ifi Ebadegwu, he is the teammate, uh, former teammate of Sam Green, uh, as Idris Farouk is also. And Farouk is another guy that talked to me about uh, unofficially visiting USC for the Notre Dame game, and then that was postponed. Actually, I think they were supposed to come in originally for homecoming with Sam green and Sam said, you know, I'm going to bring some of my, uh, my, my teammates with me, uh, some 2024, 2025 guys. And, um, that didn't actually happen. And then his official visit was pushed back, uh, for the Notre Dame weekend. And then eventually, um, you know, signed with USC and none of those guys from St. Francis took the unofficial visit. So maybe they come in (laughs) during the spring uh, it's one of those things where, you know, a, a lot of guys have a lot of ideas about visiting and then they realize, you know, um, for some of these guys, these uh, trips are not free. And so um, we'll see if they're able to get on campus. But uh, Ogadigwu, I know they've, they've offered a scholarship to, as well as Farouk. And so, you know, USC certainly recruiting that Baltimore era. The, the DMV, pretty hard. You know, they're going after that uh, demographic of players. And it seems like, you know, they've, they've definitely got a lot of interest from those players. And we talked about, you know, with New Jersey, another place back East where, you know, that might be a good connection. That might be a good place for USC to be able to get some out of state talent, maybe dive in and get some players at positions that uh, are not as readily available locally.
0: And while we're, you know, talking about top schools and new offers, I do want to use that to roll into uh, your passing down experience, Gerard. Gerard, Broke the seal on seven-on-seven on seven events for 2023. Fortunately, I was not able to go out there. I was still under the weather. Gerard was like, don't worry. I'll put it on my back and carry us through the passing down. So Gerard, let me know what your experiences were at passing down. Who stood out to you? Who? What was it like to being out there for the first event of 2023 oh,
1: it was, for it, you? It, it was fantastic. It's uh, Fontana in February. And it's always a good time. Uh, you know, I'm from Fontana, so I go back to my old hood. Actually, really passing down that uh, Ralph Lewis complex is not too far away from where uh, I grew up. So it's always kind of good. Hurricane to going to home. Yeah, no Santa Ana winds uh, this year. Last year, we had some pretty good Santa Ana winds, which is not necessarily good for a passing tournament. Um, this year, great weather. And uh, we got to see a, a bunch of different uh, school. I think they had 50 different teams out there actually Whoa. playing. So it was a pretty big tournament, and it always is. And it's actually turned out to be one of the better tournaments year in and year out. So uh, Premium had a stacked team out there. Trillium Boys were out there, and you had Chris Hawkins, former Trojan, now coaching at Tustin High School, was out there with the Trillium Boys. And uh, they got Sue Cravens out there with the Trillium Boys t shirt. Now, I'm not sure how involved he was going to be with the trillion boys this off season we kind of joked a little bit, uh, but it was good to see a couple former Trojans. And uh, I go back with Sua a little bit. We announced Sue uh, commitment to USC uh, live. Um, we actually, well, no, okay. It wasn't live. We, we taped it and we went through the whole, like we had this long video um, that we did for him and, and we put it out when he was announcing live. And so it looked like we actually like, had a live announcement, but it wasn't live. It was just we actually pre-recorded the video and sat on it for like two weeks, <laughs> and then he put it out. So everybody was like, "Oh, it's this live video." It's like, "No, actually, we, we already uh, we already talked to him and, and did this uh, well ahead of time." Um, so we kind of joked about you know that and man, Sue has got some great stories. We should we should have him on the on the podcast, especially if he gets involved with Trillion Boys. I just don't know if Sue is going to have the patience for seven on seven. <laughs> he he you know sure. He's, he hasn't been—he um, hasn't been, uh, you know, raised through it like Chris Hawkins has. You know, Chris, with his dad Armando Hawkins, you know, running Ground Zero for so many years and being the co-founder of it, you know, he just—he understands the ebb and flow, the politics of Seven on Seven. I don't know if Sua wants to really deal with that. Sua did play for Frat Boys, which actually was run by, uh, coincidentally, Chris ha- uh, Chris Claiborne.
0: I'm sorry, did you say Frat Boys?
1: Frat Boys. Frat Boys was a 7-on-7 team a number of years ago that was run by Chris Claiborne and Lonnie Ford, two former Trojans as well. And so they had that team and they had tournaments and that was kind of the peak of 7-on-7. I I would say, you know, 7-on-7, I think it got real big and now it's kind of sort of tapered off to where, you know, there's only so much of it and kids are jumping back and forth from team to team. It's tough, man. It's tough. I was talking to Malik, jo- uh, Malik James, uh, who runs Premium, you know, last weekend, kind of joking, like, "Dude, uh, you're back in it, man." Because he was kind of thinking, "Yeah, man. I mean, maybe you're gonna get away from this. There's so much nonsense that goes on with seven-on-seven tournaments and seven-on-seven just in general." And um, but he was out there, and he said, "Yeah, man. I, I kind of miss it. You know, I kind of, I kind of do enjoy being out here and, and, and being with the kids and." you know, the, the movers and shakers and everything. And like I said, that's part of the recruiting process these days is, you know, all the people that are involved and all the trainers and, you know, you get the godfathers and the stepdads and everybody that's out there that's, uh, you know, got a, a place in the recruitment for every one of these players. So just in general, you know, getting out there and uh, seeing uh, the, the the first wave sort of of teams and what they look like and, um, you know, talk to a number of different players, got a bunch of interviews, and um it it was it was it was nice it's interesting to look at the class of 2024 just at at a, at a at a at a far to try to kind of get the feel for you know is this going to be a class that's going to have a lot of impact players for USC or, or just in general locally and the vibe i think early on <coughs> excuse me is no i don't think this is a real Top heavy sort of marquee type class where you're going to have a lot of guys who are going to make instant impacts. I just don't get that sense. Now, you got a lot of good players and it's a fairly balanced class uh, when you look at it position wise, but you don't have a lot of, you know, Makai Lemons and Malachi Nelsons and Nico Iamayalevas and guys like that who are going to be expected to come in early on and make an impact. Now, obviously, with Nelson. Uh, we have to kind of watch for him to, to to make that impact after Caleb Williams leaves. But nevertheless, you know, with Makai Lemon and Zach Branch, these are guys that we think are going to make a splash pretty early on um, in their 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 careers at USC. And I think there's, you know, a, a few local players in that 2023 class that are going to go on and be impact players early on. Whereas a 24 class, you just don't necessarily get that sense. So that's kind of one of the first kind of uh, – the vibe that you sort of get, you know, when you're out there and you're looking at the talent and it, you know, not everybody was out there from the 2024 class, but there were, there were several good players and there was definitely, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 10 players or so, maybe a dozen players that had scholarship offers, scholarship offers from USC for the 2024 and 2025, even going into the 2026 class. Um, I would say at the top, you know, in terms of top performers, I really right. like what I saw from Nate Frazier. Uh, the, Okay. Know, 5'10", 190 hundred ninety pound athlete from Modern Day High School, originally from St. Pius Matthias in Downey, and that's where I first saw him. Um, actually, uh, when he was playing uh, for St. Pius Matthias uh, in Downey, in which is you know Division Seven, and he was playing wide receiver, he was playing cornerback, and he was a very good player. Um, but you kind of didn't know, you know, is he is he going to be a corner? It seemed like that's where USC was really recruiting him. That's where they liked him. And now he goes over to modern day high school. And, you know, that's a big jump. That's a big transition. We talked about that in the story that I put up. But watching him play running back, and he was very good last year. I think he had, you know, only like 69 carries and like, I can't remember how many yards he had. Uh, It says in the story, and it was like, you know, like eight touchdowns. But he was kind of utilized in spots, I think, more as sort of an all purpose back for modern day because they also have Jordan Davison at modern day who had like 1500 yards and like 17 touchdowns last year, but he is more of a stalwart kind of running back that you're going to give the ball to, you know, 20 times a game. Whereas Snake Frazier can play in the slot. You move him around a bit, but as a running back, just seeing how he's developed physically and watching him out there and passing down and, and seeing the guys that take it seriously the guys that go out there and run their routes hard and are, are trying to go out there and make plays. I was impressed by him. You know, he's got an 11, seven, Physically, he's starting to look a lot more like Austin Jones. You know, I think with USC and how they utilize their running backs and, and utilizing multiple running backs in their offense and moving them around and using them in the passing game, I'm starting to see Nate Frazier as a guy that in that 2024 class, I don't know USC has to go to Texas or they have to go to Florida to go get themselves a running back. I think Nate Frazier is, is definitely a player. I know he doesn't have a lot of carries uh, under his belt going over to modern day, but I think that transition of A, playing a different position, and also going from, you know, Division 7 to the Trinity League, it took a little bit of time. And uh, now I think, you know, he's going to hit the ground running and he's going to be uh, one of those guys that we have to look for uh, on, on USC's radar. He did take an unofficial visit to USC just recently and um, talked about, you know, building a better relationship with Lincoln Riley, building a better relationship with Kyle McDonald. Didn't talk much about Kyle McDonald or, you know, you know how, how hard they were really recruiting him. So I get the sense USC sort of kind of feeling him out and watching him a little bit, and he's kind of getting a feel for USC to some extent. But he grew up a Trojan fan and, you know, talked about USC well before uh, the, the sort of Clay Helton era. And, and, and I kind of joked. and said, yeah, man, you've you pretty much been born and raised in one of the lowest points of USC football history. And he says, yeah, he goes, but you know what? I got YouTube, and I can always go back and watch those Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush point. Good and point. Uh, And he has you know he has so he's got some 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 respect for you know the brand that goes further back than you know just the past five six years. Um, another guy that has a lot of respect for the brand is Marcellus Williams and Chris, you know Marcellus he was asking about you um, you know you, you're kind of a Bosco guy a little bit there and and uh, do a lot of interviews with the Bosco kids and uh, Marcellus Williams is a, a kid that we've known a long time because he's the younger brother of Max Williams on the football team and so
0: he Again, makes me feel old because I remember meeting him when I was interviewing Max when he was at Sarah. So he makes me feel very old. Yeah, That's all well, I'll
1: not, say. not as old as me because I remember Buki when he was about knee high <laughs> running around when Lucky was a, a recruit. So uh, with Marcellus, you know what? He, he had one of the most candid uh, quotes of uh, all of the players that I interviewed at Passing Down just talking about, you know, what do you want to see from USC? My question to him was you've been around USC a ton. Now, your brother goes there. Your brother was a recruit. You, you, you're local. Um, you've been around just even other players outside of Max. And, 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 and you know, USC, you know, the players that have been there and gone there. Um, you know, what do you need to see from USC going forward? And he said, flat out, I want to see him play better defense. You know, I just want to see them not have to try to outscore every team, you know, 40 to 45. And, 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 and these, all these high scoring games. I want to see more competitiveness with defense and them being able to hold teams to, you know, 20 points or what have you. And I think that echoes the sentiments of a lot of Trojan fans. I don't think he said anything that was shocking or controversial. I think he was just being real and he was –
0: It's refreshing to hear that.
1: It's refreshing to hear that and it means a lot because he has been around it. He's seen it. He's been in the Trojans' locker room. He's not just a recruit watching TV, looking at box scores, looking at, you know, AP rankings. He's lived it and he's been behind the scenes. And so I think um, you know, he like I said, speaking for a lot of Trojan fans, and clearly, you know, speaking, I think for some of the players on the team, like they, as a defense, want to get better. You know, they want to have a better defense. And um, you know, a lot of people will fire back and say, well, that's not college football anymore. You look at the scores, it's 55 to 52. But I saw Georgia absolutely dominate a team that kind of played those games throughout the season in TCU and Georgia plays defense. And so I think um, you still got to play defense in college football and you still got to run a ball. You still got to block and tackle. You still have to do the fundamentals. And I think that's where USC defensively were lacking last year. And that's where you got to see a lot of development. So we talked to Marcellus Williams, you know, he's going to be at USC again. He's going to check him out, but he's a St. John Bosco kid and you know that he's, he's not uh, convinced I think uh, right now in terms of, player development and the defense. Um, He's got to see more from them. He's going to make his decision probably before senior season. Some people pointed out, you know, how's the defense supposed to convince him? I I don't know that they can before that point, but I also tell you that if the defense plays much better and he's a local guy and he's got his brother there and you've seen that actual development from the defense, that any commitment during the summer doesn't mean anything uh, at that point uh, that he could be flipped uh, by USC. So, I wouldn't put too much stock necessarily in when he commits. It's uh, more of uh, the product on the field that USC is showing on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Isaiah Rubin is another player that just recently got a scholarship offer from USC, uh, originally from Vegas, played at Desert Pines High School, just recently transferred to Los Alamitos. And so he's a cornerback, watched him a little bit, didn't do a whole lot. You know, he's playing over the slot a little bit. Um, Pretty fluid as an athlete, got decent size, young guy um you know we definitely need to see a lot more of him It's one of those things where I actually filmed a bunch of players but it was sporadic you know it was one of those things where it's like okay Nate Frazier I can kind of focus on him on offense right but then when you've got Marcellus Williams out there you've got Isaiah Rubin out there you've got Jason Mitchell playing cornerback which I wanted to see because you know he's sort of locked in now to playing defensive back which I always felt like he really wants to play receiver but now he's like officially no nope, I'm gonna be a defensive back in college. That's the way it's gonna be. And so, you know, I can play corner and I can play safety. And like, all right, six four, 185 pounds-ish, uh, 190 pounds. I, I want to see you play corner because that's um tough for guys that tall. And so I'm still skeptical. I, I come away thinking he's probably more of a safety. And I do think the rumors and the talk of him being more of like a nickel backer guy, you move him up the line of scrimmage are still very intriguing. Also, Curious to see how hard USC recruits him going forward and sort of where he ends up on the board because I do get the sense that when he was going to reclassify, USC was not really an option for him. And he talked about if he would have committed, it would have been to Utah or Florida State. Uh, Utah, obviously the trendy pick, beat USC, win the Pac-12. You know, I, I think that um, you know there's there's that aspect. It's a little closer to home as well. Florida State was all about NIL, so I think. Um, you know, going forward now that he's going to be a 2024 commit, um, we're going to see how that goes uh, with USC and and you know how hard they recruit him and position wise, you know their vision for him, et cetera. He talked a lot about uh, Buki Rad- uh, Radley Hiles and and sort of that relationship that he had with him, and he's got a good relationship with Dante Williams. And Dante Williams was the guy that offered him a region uh, originally. Um, the one of the last guys I talked to was Dylan Gre- uh, Gresham. Uh, the 2024 uh, wide receiver out of the San Jacinto High School, a guy that uh, I think he led CIF in receptions last year. He had like an insane amount of, of receptions, like 90 something and like, uh, you know, I think over a thousand yards receiving uh, crazy numbers and uh, was offered a scholarship uh, by Luke Huard and talked to Luke Huard a bit. Didn't mention Dennis Simmons very much and has not spoken to Lincoln Riley. So it's one of those scholarship offers, which you go, okay, again, you know, scholarship offers don't mean a whole lot. They don't necessarily mean this recruit is a priority recruit. And when they don't talk to the head coach, it always sort of kind of lingers like, all right, well, we'll put a bookmark on that one. And we'll come back and see if, uh, you know, he takes an unofficial visit and actually gets to have a sit down with Lincoln Riley and to see what type of uh, you know press they put on him and, and it gives you a better vibe as to you know what uh, where he may, may end up on the board but um, you know a slot receiver a guy that we saw um, uh, you know just he, he was pretty dominant in that uh, that tournament I mean he had some really really good catches some some 50 50 balls he's not a big guy I think he's listed like five eleven six foot. He's probably that 165 pounds, maybe um, not a big guy. Uh, could probably play on the outside a bit as well, but uh, really good hands, really polished. Um, just a guy that catches the ball and is very, very uh, great, great ball skills. And uh, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see again, uh, priority wise, when we look at this receiver class, where he ends up in the grand scheme of things. USC is going to have to recruit some receivers. Uh, this this cycle. Now, are they going to be high school guys or are they going to be transfers? We don't know yet, but you have a very heavy junior class right now in terms of eligibility for USC. And so they're going to have to get some guys on campus uh, that are going to be either freshmen or guys that are coming in uh, for as transfers at the wide receiver position. And then uh, 2000 class uh, of 25, I think, is going to be probably a little more. Of a high marquee impact player type class. One of the guys that jumps out immediately is Madden Ferriamo, uh, the six foot two, uh, six foot three, 215 pound linebacker who uh, played at uh, Central Catholic last year and has transferred since to J. Sarah High School. Uh, play some safety but I think is transitioning just physically into being more of an outside linebacker. USC is looking at him as a linebacker and probably the best looking prospect there of the 2024 and 2024 five class. Uh, He is a dude, (laughs) you know, he walks by and uh, I was there with Adam Gorney, the national recruiting analyst for rivals. I know Adam for many years because, you know, we were over at rivals for 13 years. And so Adam and I were just kind of hanging out. We're talking and we're looking at guys. And I see uh, Madden walk over and I go, who's that kid? Because that dude looks like a dude. And we didn't recognize him immediately. He has hair and cornrows and what have you. And uh, uh, Adam walked over and and, and chatted him up a little bit. I was doing another interview at the time. And he came back over. He goes, that's Madden. Madden Ferriamo. I go, oh, geez, man, he's looking like a guy. And so 2025 class. You've got guys like uh, DeJon Lee, and you've got Jet White. You've already got some guys that are sort of earmarked in that class. That look. Noah like- Mikel. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and the Sir Wyatt. Um, so that that class, I think, you know, when you talk about the heavy hitters up front, the marquee guys, you go, okay, these are guys that you know within the first five games of their freshman year are going to see the field. 2025 class has more guys like that locally than 2024. Right now, as it seems, Um, talked to uh, Bishop Alemany, wide receiver, Philip Bell. He just got a scholarship offer from USC. And so that's going to be one that USC is going to recruit pretty heavily. I also talked to Pittsburgh safety, Jaden Hudson, who kind of aloof about USC. You know, USC's got to really recruit him pretty hard. You know, they don't recruit the Bay Area really hard. And so he has yet to uh, visit USC and wasn't going to visit while he was down here at passing league. So USC is going to have to try to rope him in at some point during the spring and work on him. He's definitely one of those guys that's, I think, uh, looking elsewhere right now but was excited about the scholarship offer from USC and interested. A good-looking kid, you know, a good 6'1", almost 6'2", uh, safety, played pretty well for KT preps and was a guy that, um, you know, certainly you see why you know he had those scholarship offers early. But um, a dude that just doesn't have a whole lot to say about USC, you know right right now he's you know he's interested but he's got to learn a lot more about USC.
0: Gerard your your breakdown of your time of passing down actually has made me a little bit excited to get into my first 7 on 7 event of 2023. I know sometimes I complain about sometimes we complain about it. We go to events and stuff and there's not a lot of talent to record for our purposes as USC football writers, but I do get excited when you get out there and, you know, get some good plays on on tape, see some teams be competitive and, you know, see see players that, you know, they first got their offer. Maybe they're a sophomore. Now they're going to the senior year. Just see how much they've changed. Like you were talking about Madden, seeing how their bodies changed and then just getting older and developing more physically. So I am excited to get out to an event and, and, and check out the first one of 2023 for me, at least.
1: Yeah, maybe you'll get out there. You, hey, there's always Vegas. There's always Pylan up at the Mecca in Mesquite, which is barely Vegas. I mean, it's not really Vegas; it's Nevada. Maybe you and JP could go out there, and uh, you know, he can uh, get his five star quotas in.
0: Five star quotas. You said you're worried about JP not going out to events this off season because not a lot of five stars out there right now. Not, <laughs> not a lot of five stars the out there. Twenty
1: four class. Yeah, but Madden Ferriamo is a five star, but he definitely looks apart we had a write-up about him there's a lot of tradition there with his family and connected to us and so uh definitely check out that article but uh, he's a five star and i think um, having watched him just a bit and in, in passing down and uh you know just physically i think he's one of those guys you kind of say yeah definitely i can see why he's a five star early on that's that's a legitimate ranking
0: now let's transition a little bit into some spring football, Gerard. Spring football is less than about three weeks away from starting up, March 4th. That's when things will get going. I've been putting out some spring preview content. The schedule is not officially out, but it's out there on uh, social media right now, so you can see that full schedule. Spring game will be in uh, April. Gerard, we, we wanted to talk about just like a quick little spring football content as as in five players we each we're going to talk about or list five players that now is it five players that usc fans should be watching if they were you know watching spring football practice or five players that we personally are excited to see and hear about in spring in spring camp which one is it
1: I think it's more about what we're excited to see. I mean, quite frankly, let's be blunt about it. We probably get to see about as much of practice anymore as the fans do. So we kind of have to wait almost to the spring game to really get a good feel for who looks like what full speed and pads. Unless, you know, they they let us, you know, go into a scrimmage and actually see some football. I mean, if it's like what it was with fall camp, (laughs) we're not going to see a whole lot of. Anything, you know, it's going to be a bunch of stretches and a little bit of uh, indo uh, early on in the practice. And then we're quarantined off uh, to a dark room somewhere with no air conditioning. Um, So, yeah, I think it's more about what we're excited to see. And it's basically on paper, you know, some of the players that are coming in and position battles, I think, are always very intriguing. And that transition from either another college as a transfer or coming from high school and sort of the impact that addition makes on the roster for this spring.
0: Yeah, so we have – I kind of went with excited, as as you mentioned. So I have my five players. You have your five players. I'll go first because you just did a big talking point on passing down. So I'm going to name my five, and as I go, I'll I'll talk a little bit about why I'm excited about them. You can jump in whenever – and tell me, you shouldn't be excited about this person, or... Stop oh being that person, excited, Chris. <laughs> Stop being excited. So, first on my list is Jamil Muhammad, and you're actually the one who's been pushing Jamil Muhammad a lot, and it's sort of rubbed on me uh, over the course of, you know, since he's committed to USC. He's not someone who's getting maybe a ton of shine outside of, you know, us talking on this podcast, but... It start, the buzz is starting to get there for me because today uh, one of his family members posted him squatting what looks like 505 pounds, which is a lot. And it's really impressive to see, and it's getting a little people excited. So I just you know recency bias of seeing that clip today, he's on my list. So maybe that's a mistake, but for the most part, I want to see Jamil Muhammad out there. And I'm a little interested to see where he kind of lines up because he could maybe be a middle inside linebacker. Or maybe they're putting him out on rush end. I don't really know where he's going to end up, so I'm ex- excited to see where he kind of ends up playing in this defense. Very versatile, so maybe he can play jump between both spaces, so we'll see. Especially that rush end room is very packed with guys. Solomon Bird, Romelo Haidt, Corey Foreman. You have David Peavy and Braylon Shelby, come, Shelby coming in the fall. You have Jack Sullivan who could probably play that spot too. So a lot of interesting pieces for that room. I'm excited to see where Jamil Muhammad fits into all those uh, within that that front in terms of, you know, middle linebacker or Russian. So that's a guy I'm really excited for. And then I have Keon Bars up there. I know he was on my top 10 list higher than he was on yours, but I think, you know, obviously defensive line, interior defensive line is still a very big need for them. But I really want to see what he's able to do in spring because I think he's going to have a lot of reps and opportunity i think he's going to be thrown out there like hey this is your starting job and it's yours to lose so we we need you so we'll see what that looks like and i just want to see him play i want to see what he looks like you know obviously we've seen a little bit of him when usc plays arizona but haven't really gotten to see him up close uh that much so i think this is going to be a good opportunity i want to see how big he is want want to see all that and just keeping with the front anthony lucas is obviously i'm not I'm sure he's on your list as well. He's going to be one of the big key storylines of spring camp. Where does he line up? How big is he? Is he going to be a Bubba moving forward? So where does he line up? Do they stand him up and rush him at rush end? Is he straight hand in the ground, defensive defensive end? Do they kick him inside a little bit more, three technique, whatever? Is he closer to 280 than you know 260? Where, where is he at? Let, let's see where he's at let's see him make some plays out there. Then I have Zion Branch. I think I was really excited to see Zion Branch as a true freshman just seeing him in, you know, those clips of him in some workouts. Obviously the knee injury wasn't great, set him back, but he was ahead of schedule. Saw him suit up a couple game days, you know, got some warmups in, so he's on the right track and I know he's very hungry to get back on the football field and I think it's going to be a good spring for him. So He's like an addition for this, this defense because he didn't play last year. So excited to see. Don't sleep on him. Top 50 prospect in that 2022 class. I would I would have bet money that he would have been starting at some point uh, last season. So I'm excited to see what he does in spring. And then another one which goes with my theme of all defense is Tackett Curtis. Obviously, I'm a big Tackett Curtis believer. You are as well, as we, as we talked about him. Just... Make him the Mike linebacker, throw him in there, and it starts in spring. He's he's gaining legendary status just from you know the the workout clips and you know notes we posted about him, and so he's already building up this this cult fan base that's growing and growing and growing. But we have to see what it looks like on the field. So he's going to be you know coming down from that kind of hybrid safety spot that he played in in high school to being more so of a true linebacker. So we'll get to see that up close and and see what it looks like and excited to see, you know, him hit some people running around using that speed and that, that strength. So very excited player for, for most of the USC fan base. Uh, I'm sure he'd probably be number one on a lot of lists, but he makes my top five.
1: That's a very good top five. Um, I see an argument for all those players and I agree with you completely with Taka Curtis, just trying to see if he can make that transition and absorb enough of the defense to be the guy that they trust Mm -hmm. to be the Mike linebacker, because I do think that frees up so much personnel-wise of the defense. It frees up, obviously, Eric Gentry to be able to move to another position, and then Mason Cobb is there, and you either have that depth at Mike linebacker with both of them playing that position or potentially having Cobb uh, move to Will. Or you know, having Taka Curtis move to Will—I mean, that would be different than what they're recruiting him as. Whereas I think with Mason Cobb, it was a little more open-ended, and Cobb, you know, told me flat out, "I'm not just going to focus on trying to learn one. I want to learn both because at the next level, I'll get drafted, and I just want to try to get on the field. And I think that's a great philosophy to have. Uh, certainly, if you're looking towards your NFL ambitions, that's something that I think you have to be very uh, aware of that, you know, special teams, you know, just getting on the field and, and making a splash, being able to just make some plays to to get on that roster. And so that's what Mason Cobb is, his mindset is coming into this spring. And so I think that also gives you a little bit more room to potentially scoot him over to Will if you feel like Turkey attack Curtis can take that uh, Mike linebacker position and be able to be the quarterback of the defense. It's a lot to ask of a high school recruit, especially a guy coming from a, you know a smaller level of football. You know he's just not only trying to acclimate to L.A. and college, but the speed of the game. And and all these high school players are having to adjust to the speed of the game, but some more so than others. So it, it might be a lot to ask of him, but still being able to see him and, and watch him to some extent. And in the spring game, you know, sort of the finished product of 15 practices and the offseason workouts, what does Tackett Curtis look like? Um, I think uh, I agree with Anthony Lucas, of course, you know, physically, where does he come in? He left Texas A&M at 275. You know, does he come to USC a little bolt, a little heavier? Is, is he maybe even trying to lose weight to be more of an edge rusher? we talked a lot about how USC needs to have that interior pass rush, and he's a guy that if he really embraced that could be, you know, a fantastic three technique, and ultimately that might be where um, his bread and butter is if he's looking at the next level as a player. Uh, but nevertheless, seeing how they use him, you know, do they use him exactly like Tuli Tui Pulotu? Do they use him outside and inside, um, or does he sort of see – You know, one position more than the other. Like you said, there's a dearth of edge rushers right now. You know, Jack Sullivan, you add to that list along with Jamil Muhammad, who I assume is going to play more as an edge guy than an inside guy just because Mm -hmm. that's what he did at Georgia State. Um, But nevertheless, you've got talent, and the end, you know, Anthony Lucas, you need some of that talent inside, and you would like to see him play a little more inside and hopefully develop physically so he can be an impact player inside. Another guy I would have on my list is Jarrett Kingston. Um, just him coming in and seeing how comfortable he is in this offense and the left side of that offensive line, which is going to probably be pretty new. Um, Ethan White I don't think is on campus yet. He's going to come in later in the spring, so he wouldn't be a guy that we're looking at for spring ball. But Jarrett Kingston is. And just seeing if he's real deal, You know, seeing if he's that left tackle franchise-level player um and uh if he's able to win that job outright because the other guy I'm interested to see is Mason Murphy and his continued development so you know that sort of are they going to use Mason Murphy to compete at left tackle with Jarrett Kingston or does Jarrett Kingston sort of walk in and and take that job right away i think that's an interesting potential battle and if Mason Murphy's not playing or competing for the starting left tackle job where does he fill in does he go to right tackle and he's playing and competing against Michael Turquin, or can you bump him inside? I think you know he's that sort of wild card that really upgrades the offensive line in terms of depth, in terms of having another player that's athletic and mobile and can play many different positions because you're going to have to use depth on that offensive line at some point during the year. It's just going to happen. You're going to have an injury. You're going to have a guy go down. You're going to have to move guys around. And having a sort of ace in the hole uh, and Mason Murphy, who can play multiple positions, is big time. Uh, Jonah Monheim, similar, but I think Mason Murphy uh, is definitely the guy that's already shown he can kind of bounce around uh, both right and left tackle. I would just be interested to see what he looks like inside. Um, finally, I mean, I, I don't think we could have a list about USC football players without putting Solomon Tule Alapupu there. I think he has to go there just to see what type of progression he's made, what type of development he's made and is he a guy that's going to be uh, an impact player for USC next season whether he plays and or he continues to put on that weight and he moves inside because that was something that his dad and I talked about a little bit uh last winter is you know they they want to move him down and, and he's going to be more of a defensive lineman now is he going to be an edge rusher or is he going to do the the, the uh Aaron Darnold thing? Type thing and and go and be an actual flat out defensive lineman and put his hand on the ground and be inside and so we'll see uh, if that's like the continued progression where you know he goes from like two sixty five two seventy and he actually puts on the weight and ends up being like 280, 285. so we'll see you know what happens with him but I think that's going to be a guy that's going to be interesting to see anybody who plays or has the potential to play on the interior defensive line is somebody that I'm keeping an eye on, you know, kind you know, Keon bars, you know, how, what kind of impact does he make? You know, is he able to be a, an instant impact player for USC? Is he going to be an upgrade over a Brandon Peely? Um, anybody who's on the inside is going to be a big deal because that's obviously where USC talent wise, I think just has to get better.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not surprised that he's on a list, but I I did not expect you to pick solo Tulia Pupu, but yeah, he was a guy who, Played for the first time essentially last season and made some plays. Didn't get a ton of snaps, but had multiple tackles for a loss. And he's coming back again. He's excited about coming back again. And yeah, I, I hope he can keep adding on. You know, some more weight. Maybe play a little bit more interior. But he is undersized as a former linebacker. But he's got a great get off. He's violent. He can get to the quarterback. Get in the backfield. So yeah, I think this spring could be. A, a really good one for him they they do have a wealth of edge rushers and pass rushers, but solo has played a year at defensive line, you no know, gotten comfortable with it. So now that you're comfortable, that's when you can take the next step. So yeah, definitely can see a lot of excitement around solo, just building off that first year and staying healthy and, and, you know, actually getting, being productive and getting some, some stats, some, some tackles for a loss some some tackles getting out there and hitting people. So yeah, I, I, I see the solo excitement and as he has given me the, the nickname CT killer, I I cannot uh, thank him (laughs) enough for that. So yeah, go solo.
1: One guy that we didn't mention that absolutely would be on both of our lists though. uh, If it wasn't just, you know, five is Devin Tompkins.
0: I think. Oh yeah. I felt bad not putting him on there.
1: Yeah. We're certainly interested to see, I mean, his continued physical development, you know, that's kind of the first thing that we saw with him. And, you know, whether that it, it, it parlays into his effectiveness as a defensive lineman and sort of where that takes him. It's sort of like with Solomon, Tuliala Pupu, is he going to, you know, shift inside and continue to put on the weight? Or is he just going to stay as more of a strong side end guy? And that's same with, with Devin Tompkins. Is he going to be kind of a, a, a five technique? That's, you know, that 265 range uh, up from being like 225, 230 when he was you know coming out of high school. Or is he going to be a guy that you actually can move inside and, and he can play at even a heavier weight, you know, at, at that height. Uh, so that's an interesting, intriguing player that, you know, has a lot of physical upside there. There's a lot of players that, you know, we can look at and, and talk about in terms of, you know, their development with a, a year under their belt. Of the staff and another off season, a full off season where everybody, I think, most importantly, has a better idea of where they are from a self evaluation standpoint. The players sort of have a feel for the system a little more, and so they can kind of see where they're at and and maybe if they want to move, you know, where they see an opportunity. And then the coaches obviously have a better idea personnel wise where they are. They know what some of these guys can do, you know, they know what they look like in game situations. They have more practice film of them. All of that is is very, very helpful for the team moving forward. And uh, they've got to use that, you know, to be able to to improve at certain positions and, and try to make up for whatever, you know, they lacked last year at certain positions.
0: Yeah. I, is there, I guess for me, is there any sort of maybe like worry that we're, putting a little too much or her expectation a little bit too high for Devin Tompkins. Cause we have to remember he was a basketball player. He only played one year of high school football. And is that redshirt year enough for him to, with all that combined, be able to contribute next season?
1: Well, I think that's why he didn't make the list officially. I think that mm-hmm. it's a guy that we both said, Whoa, <laughs> look at Devin Tompkins. He looks like he's like 260 now like holy cow he looks like he's completely bought in to i'm a football player now and i'm gonna go and I'm gonna put my hand on the ground and I have unique talents and abilities coming from the basketball court with this height with this length and now I'm putting the weight behind it and it getting strength behind it so there's still definitely that sort of raw element as to you know what what kind of expectations really should we have for him but initially you at least get the okay he's definitely bought into the weight room and bought into nutrition and he's doing those things at face value that are going to get him on the football field now whether you know he can bring that together coordination wise and you know he has the quickness and the toughness you know to play football and to be that guy if he's going to play in the interior um that that remains to be seen and so yeah we we certainly i don't think we were hyping him up. I think we've just said, "Hey, this is a guy that, you know, physically is looking like he has a good amount of potential and he's put the weight on his frame that he needs to to be able to be a guy that USC needs. Like that's what you need to become. Become a player that your team needs. Don't be the player that you think you need to be or you should be. Try to be the player that the team needs. You know, fill a need." And with a guy like that who has his physical tools, you say, okay, you know, there's some optimism there. And so I think it's, you know, optimism more than it is expectations at this point for Dem Tompkins. And, you know, there's some other players that probably fall uh, into that category as well. I mean, it's good to see that Eric Gentry is going to get an entire, you know, season now, uh, offseason under his belt at USC. People forget he came to USC during the summer. So, you know, he got kind of thrown in there. The impact that he made, you know, with the short amount of time that he had to make it, now you're going to get a whole offseason with him and and maybe he's playing the same position, maybe he's playing a different position. I mean, I'm excited to just see that whole linebacker room and how the the pieces get shuffled, right? You know, that's kind of what I want to see is if there's some movement there, if they do some different things, if there's some wrinkles, you know, I, I, I kinda, I, I'll I kind admit I'd be disappointed if Eric Gentry's a starting Mike linebacker going into fall camp. I'm just going to feel like, wow, you know, that's I don't know if that's really like the best thing for the defense overall. I think you've got to get as many impact players on the field on that defense, especially at the second level, as you can. And I think, you know, that means Anthony Lucas getting him in there at a position where you can also potentially have a Corey Foreman or maybe you have Romelo Height. You have all these other players. You, you're trying to get as many of those guys on the field at the same time as possible, and so we'll see how that's how that's done. You know what what the approach is uh, as we get into the, the 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 second week, third week of spring ball. The one thing I will say that we didn't talk about was the schedule of spring ball, and something that I don't like, something that Clay Helton did, is going through practices and then taking a week off. I liked what USC did last year. Where they went from first week to the fourth week straight through and had all those practices and they did not have a break in between. I feel like those first three practices, and then you have a week off, are almost throwaway practices. They're Mm -hmm. acclimation practices, so you can't go full pads or anything. I feel like the three the, the week off just takes the momentum completely away from the team. We saw how good the team actually looked in spring ball. The one thing that we said, and listen. We don't take a lot and put a lot of stock in spring football, like the spring football game, I should say. It's always sort of that, okay, yeah, you know, oh, the Ting brothers, they had a great spring ball. Okay, sure. The the, the You know, Herschel Dennis was amazing. He's got to get the ball more. Okay, sure. You know, it's the spring game. It's not necessarily the most important, most impactful event uh, of the year for USC football. There's like the spring game and then there's pro day. And you're like, okay, yeah, those are both a little bit of a, an eye roll uh, if you've been around covering the team long enough. Nevertheless, just the pace and how clean the game was, there was very little penalties. I think there was like one penalty, and it was kind of a BS penalty against um, I think Latrell McCutcheon had like a targeting penalty that wasn't targeting, something like that. But it was played so cleanly compared to the Clay Elton era of spring games where you would have multiple penalties, Turnovers, it would be a very, very glorified practice. And the spring game in the first year, Lincoln Riley was just smooth, it was absolutely smooth. And that's what we took away from it. And we were impressed by just how, in that short amount of time, good the offense looked just in terms of timing, just in terms of the passing game, the lack of penalties, the way the offensive line looked. It just looked so clean. That's going to be interesting to see this time around because you're going to have that, that, that gap, uh, that week off in the schedule. And I just, I don't know, I think that the team is better off when they get it all just in one foul swoop.
0: One more random category that I'm inventing right now is the five Trojans I'm most excited to see when they come out of the tunnel the first day of spring. Cause that's always as something we were <laughs> talking about, like seeing their, how their bodies have developed. Since winter for me, it would be Devin Tompkins, Anthony Lucas, Eric Gentry, Elijah Page, and then Amari and Peterson just to see if he's actually real.
1: Amari Peterson. Yeah, that's uh, to see if he is as big as he looks on film, because I think he's yeah. only listed at like six foot and a half, six one. And we watch him on film. And again, we don't have a ton of reference for Wichita Falls, Texas, high school football, but I mean, he looks like he's 6'2", and he's, like, 220. I mean, he looks like a big dude uh, at the Bruiser. high school level on film. So, yeah, I mean, that's always something, you know, with the high school guys to see, you know, how big they really are if they're guys that, you know, we haven't seen in person before. Um, like but, Devin
0: uh, Topkins last last off season.
1: Yeah, Devin I mean, we knew he was a tall, kind of skinny kid, you know, rangy. But, yeah, when we saw him looking at, you know, like 250, 260, it was like, what? That, that that's Devin Tompkins He's looking like a guy, and and again, looking like he bought in to the off football program. That's always the thing. That's going to be the question with Anthony Lucas. That's going to be the question with some of these defensive linemen. Are they buying in? Or of course, you know, we've talked about this before as well. The philosophy of Alex Branch and whether they don't want to have a bunch of three hundred pound, you know, two hundred ninety pound defensive linemen. That that could also be it as well, but. You want to see Anthony Lucas come in and look like a dude. I know talking to Brian Peroni, he was a bit surprised when they saw Anthony Lucas in the spring game for Texas A&M. They thought he was going to come in at around 280, and he showed up at like 270, and he was more of an edge rush guy for them. And so, you know, obviously with Texas A&M, they had a complete stacked recruiting class, and they already had a bunch of good defensive linemen already there. So maybe it's a little different there as opposed to USC, which you just you know, you've got Stanley Tuafu and you've got uh, Tyrone Tele, and these guys are, you know, two sixty, two seventy. You need some more size uh, on that defensive line. Keon Bars is definitely going to be a guy that brings in more size, but you kind of hope Anthony Lucas comes in and he's looking like the kind of guy that you want to put, you know, his hand on the round and be a defensive lineman. Not and so even hard.
0: Earl Barquette, you hope he's like over three hundred at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, Earl Marquette is a guy that I liked what I saw from him. And the limited amount of snaps that he got, the flashes that he showed, I thought he actually did a really good job, um, you know, being disruptive in the very few reps that he actually got. I don't know why he got so few reps. Uh, I think, you know, you watch his film from TCU, he looked like the prototypical sort of very mobile defensive lineman that uh, Alex French likes to use. So he's a guy that um, – I would like to definitely see more of. I just think USC's got to have better athletes inside that are bigger, stronger, faster, just period, across the board. I I think if you're looking at a team that's going to be competitive in a playoff series, in a a, a playoff game, um, not really a series, I mean a series of games that you have within the playoffs in football, I don't think that what we saw last year is anywhere near that. I think that's a team that gets blowed out in the playoffs. I think it doesn't help for USC to go to the college football playoffs. I know a lot of people uh, got upset, you know, because the shotgun was saying that they weren't uh, they weren't ready for the playoffs, you know, and it wasn't so much, you know, they deserved to be there. It's just, are you ready? I, are you as a program ready to go there and not embarrass yourself? Okay, we've seen USC get embarrassed uh, too many times in some big games here in the Clay Helton era, and you want to see them come out and be, at the very least, Competitive when they get that opportunity. Because that lasts. I mean, we talked about TCU and that loss and how it it it, it just it, it was bad, man. It, it, it A great season. TCU even getting in the college football playoff is a huge deal for them. But truth be told, that was a bad loss. And it's a kind of loss where you go, you know, maybe you weren't ready for the college football playoffs. Maybe you were better. Just go into the Cotton Bowl or something like that. You know, be into that level. You want to be able to go there and be competitive. And to be fair, Oklahoma, when they got to the college football playoff, there was a couple of games there where they weren't very competitive either. So, you know, that's a big question. Still looming a little bit with Lincoln Riley and certainly uh, with the defense. It's, um, you know, don't just get there. Don't just be happy to be there and say, yeah, we made the college football playoff. Go there and act and, and look like you belong there.
0: Let's move out of spring football and into some coaching moves from opposing schools that Gerard, we have here to end the main part of our show before we go into listener questions. So can you kind of run me run me through some coaching moves with the old rival Oregon Ducks?
1: Yeah, Oregon uh, really because there's so many recruits that USC is competing head to head with them. I think anytime you have coaching moves Made whether it be UCLA or Oregon, uh, particularly Oregon, because they are the number one recruiting ranked team in the Pac 12. And so USC is trying to continue to beat them in recruiting. And, you know, they're going to have to beat them on the field, I think, this season to beat them in recruiting. And this is going to be the first year in a couple years that, uh, you know, we've seen them head to head. Obviously, 2020 is the last time they played Oregon and they lost to them in the Pac-12 championship game in that abbreviated season at home, a game that everything was lined up for USC to win, and they still managed to lose to a pretty mediocre Oregon team. So Oregon has had USC's number on the field, and they've had USC's number off the field to some extent. Not as much last year. USC was able to win some head-to-head battles Mm -hmm. with offensive linemen, and that was huge. That was big, getting Micah... Benuelos away from Oregon, getting Alani Noah away from Oregon after they lost Josh Connerly. Those were big. That was a step in the right direction. But obviously they lost out on a couple of players, Mattel Oyongalale and uh, Roger Pleasant at the end of the 2023 cycle. So Oregon's there. You're competing against Oregon. One of the interesting things with Oregon, it's been such a turnstile of a program in terms of coaches. And that's very interesting. And uh, some of uh, these coaches that have only been there one year under Dan Lanning are already on the move. Adrian Clem leaves back to the NFL. He's not going to be the Patriots' offensive coordinator. That was a lulls. Um, (laughs) But he is going to the NFL, and they've hired Al... Aleek. Yeah, Aleek. I believe, Terry, who was uh, an assistant offensive line coach with the Vikings, and he'd previously been in a, 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 like a grad assistant, I think um, offensive assistant for Oregon, a pretty unknown commodity here as a coach. A younger coach, it looks like Oregon really is just going all in on just recruiters. They don't want to bring in guys that can recruit. Uh, player development and coaching is going to potentially suffer with them, and that's going to be interesting to watch. Going forward, you know, I said already in this podcast, I think X's and O's will beat the Jimmys and Joes, um, and you got to have good players. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying that you know you can completely uh, ignore it, but I mean, look at UCLA. I mean, Chip Kelly has been far from a monster recruiter at UCLA. UCLA <laughs> almost looks at recruiting, is particularly high school recruiting, as a necessary evil. Almost, I mean, they don't offer a lot of guys they don't bring a lot of guys in on visits uh you just don't hear a whole lot about UCLA recruiting but UCLA was pretty good football program last year and uh really has built their program completely on the system and uh Chip Kelly's system and and what they they do on the football field in terms of development and so we'll see what they do this year obviously they don't have DTR there and um, they're going to have to make some 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 moves that got Dante Moore, which is really the only big-time recruit uh, that they've got really uh, under Chip Kelly. And we'll see how much he plays early on. But uh, I think that uh, you've got to have player development and you've got to have good coaching first and foremost. And uh, if you're able to bring you know top talent in on top of that, like Pete Carroll did at USC, then you're talking about an elite program. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, the interesting battle – that we have to look at with the loss of Adrian Clem, who in and of himself was an elite recruiter. I mean, he was a guy that recruited at a very high level. And so I don't know if uh, Alik Terry uh, will recruit at that level, but he's a young guy, and I'm sure they feel like he's going to be a recruiter first and foremost. Um, But they're going after Brandon Baker. And Brandon Baker, I think, you know, with his brother having gone to Oregon, Oregon sort of held the lead. But now you change – uh, off the line coaches, and you know the 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 push there for them is is defense because Dan Landing is a defensive coach, and I think that it's going to be very interesting now that he has a better relationship and a longer standing relationship with uh, Lincoln Riley, Josh Henson, and USC. So the tide has turned a little bit there. I think you know the familiarity that he had with the Oregon program. Um, now that you know he's got coaches that are at USC that have been at USC a little longer, I think really benefits USC. So we'll see how that goes with his recruitment. He's obviously a must get. You know, I think offensive linemen just in general, um, that's uh, somewhere where I think you know locally um, it's going to be a, a good position in 2024 to recruit. Uh, the other loss that they've already had was Kenny Dillingham, who, who's now the head coach at Arizona State, and they replace him with Will Stein, who. Co-offensive coordinator at uh, UT San Antonio. So not the head coordinator, just a co-coordinator. So another guy that you kind of go, okay, you know, that's uh, not necessarily the most proven commodity, a guy that has a great resume that you're bringing in with Oregon under Dan Lanning. And that's one of the problems when you bring in a guy that's a first-year head coach and he hasn't really been a coordinator that's been a, a play caller. He's been under defensive coaches. Uh, the Rolodex is a little thin. It's a little clay-helping-ish. And so that's what Oregon's kind of dealing with right now. So we're going to see how that sort of impacts them on the recruiting trail. Uh, uh, younger guys that I'm sure recruit well, and they'll always be subsidized by Nike. And that's always going to be something, at least you know, as long as Phil Knight is around the football program, um, you know, I think that's going to be something that uh, they really make a big push for. But nevertheless, kids got to believe that they're going to get developed. You know, and they're going to have that chance to get drafted and that's a, a big key here. So this is some um, directly going to potentially impact some players at USC's recruiting and certainly like we said you know with Brandon Baker and I think offensive line recruits, that's a big deal. Um, they're getting beat out for defensive recruits because that's sort of Dan Landing's thing and, and they're putting a lot of emphasis on there and I think they have shaped you know recruitments with you know why would you go to USC look at their defense sort of thing? People take that as negative recruiting. I think that's recruiting. I think it's, uh, you know, whatever product you put on the field and you put out there, that is what it is. Uh, It's like with Marcellus Williams talking about wanting to see USC get better. I don't think he's coming to those conclusions because, you know, Oregon's in his ear, negative recruiting, talking about how bad USC's defense was last year. I mean, Oregon's defense wasn't that great last year. I'm sure it gets said. I'm sure it comes up. But at the end of the day, his opinion is really going to be made more about what he actually sees with his own two eyeballs. And the fact is he's got a brother that's playing in that defense. So I think it's really, it's about, you know, USC taking care of their own and making sure that they go out there and they play better defense and that in itself will recruit itself. So interesting recruiting moves um, that, uh, that Can I throw are, uh, one more out there for you going to be a result
0: of coaching moves. Yeah, go ahead. This one came out just as we were starting the podcast. You mentioned feels very Clay Helton move. Does this feel like a Clay Helton move? Notre Dame is promoting their tight ends coach Jared Parker to be their offensive coordinator. He was—he's only been an offensive offensive coordinator once previous, and that was co-offensive coordinator at West Virginia with Graham Harold in 2021.
1: Yeah, that's rough because you bring in Graham Harold <laughs> on top of a guy that's already there, which tells you you don't have a lot of confidence in that individual. So yeah. That's a tough one and again, first time head coach. Um, at least with Marcus Freeman, I mean he had a little more cachet, I think as a defensive coordinator. but people always argued with with, with him uh, you know just as a defensive coordinator, not a head coach but as a defensive coordinator when he was a hot commodity that Luke Fickle was the guy that was running that defense at Cincinnati. And that you always have to look at that. You always have to consider, is the head coach the guy that's really put together the culture, does a lot of the play calling? You know, how much responsibility do you have as a coordinator? If it's a guy like Alex Grinch, that's all him. I mean, Lincoln Riley's the offensive coach, he's the offensive play caller. You know, now you can make those questions about Josh Henson. If you're looking at Josh Henson to become your offensive coordinator, you say, well, how much did he really contribute? When you've got Lincoln Riley there, we know Lincoln Riley is sort of the mastermind of that particular offense. Uh, but with the guy opposite of him on the defense, you know he's kind of running his own show. You know he's got to basically do that all on his own. He's the play caller. He's the guy that's put together the defense. It's his culture that he's developed defensively. Um, so anytime you have a coordinator that becomes a hot commodity and a hot name because of the success of the team, I always look and say, okay. But who's the head coach there? Is it Kirby Smart? You know, is it somebody that's a known mastermind defensive coach? And then you've got this coordinator that's supposed to be a defensive coordinator that's great. Well, okay, maybe, maybe not. You know, and that was kind of where Dan Lanning came in, where he was under Kirby Smart at Georgia and he was like a co-coordinator. And you're just going, okay, but, you know, how much responsibility did he have for creating that product on the field? and a lot of times people are disappointed <laughs> because they think they're getting you know, that defense or getting that playbook, and, and cert- certainly there's some familiarity with it. There's some cohesiveness there, but it's not necessarily like that coach actually knows how it's done. I mean, we could look at USC with Clay Helton as a perfect example. You don't have to really look at Notre Dame or Cincinnati or Georgia. Just look at USC. Just look at the fact that Clay Helton – Never called plays at USC. He called some plays when he was at Memphis, and he came to USC as a quarterback coach because that Memphis offensive staff, the whole coaching staff was fired. So he comes to USC as a quarterback coach. Then he was kind of default promoted because Lane Kiffin decided to fire Kennedy Palamalu after they butted heads after that disastrous 2012 season. And you have Lane, uh, Lane Kiffin there As the head coach, but the play caller and the guy that's run that defense, that offense, who who developed that offense, installed the offense. It was his offense. okay. And then after that, you have Steve Sarkeesian come in. Another guy that calls his own plays as a head coach who develops and designs the playbook. That's those guys. Did Clay Helton was just there to, you know, mean, you know, say, hey, good call, coach. I mean, he wasn't the guy that was developing the plays or the playbook or the system at all. So you were not getting that from them. You weren't really getting like, wow, you know, USC's not been very good, but the offense has at least been good. So let's go ahead and, and keep that guy around. Well, that guy was the head coach that you fired. And if you didn't think the offense was good enough to keep him around, then what the hell are you doing promoting a guy that's not even responsible totally for that offense? It's basically one of those things like you can steal somebody's cookbook, right, and you can get a recipe. And you can do it exactly like the recipe says, in, in paper on paper, doesn't mean that cake is going to taste the same as the actual cook that wrote that recipe up. There's a difference there. If you know the 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 way to develop those techniques, like if in football, what we often said, you know, throughout the Clay Helton era, one of the issues was them running that sort of mesh read look, and and not really understanding what the concepts really were behind that and how you practiced it. It's like one thing to go like, we're going to do this and see it on film and like have somebody's playbook and go, okay, that's, this sounds good. This will work for our team and actually knowing how to practice it and how to do it. Like going to Centennial high school and watching Matt Logan run the read option is like, they practice it in such a detailed way. You can see everything, how it's set up. It's, it's very unique. They do it a certain way. There's something that works, and it's repetition. But then you go to USC and you're watching this, it, like, that's a half ass way to practice the mesh read. Like, why are you even running that? When you, and your quarterback, you're not even running your quarterback, and you're still running this long read look, and you're just giving the defensive end another second to get to your quarterback because they know he's not going to run. That's the kind of stuff that you see when you don't have – when you have coordinators that aren't the ones that are the architect of whatever playbook that team is running
0: okay well i asked a simple reaction and gerard gave me a very detailed breakdown that's what you get a composite two-star recruits when you listen to the cilantro boys and I with that look gerard, inside pandora's box and with that we're going to move on to listener questions and just a reminder if you want a question to get on our podcast you can email us at podcast podcast.uspeople.com Just make sure you put the composite to start recruit cilantro boys, 10 K hurricane, whatever it may be. It'll, that means it'll end up in my inbox. We don't have a ton of questions, right? We only have three and I'm doing it where I only pick a certain number of them because if I gave you all the questions, it would add another two hours to the show. As much as people want that, there has to be some sort of limit that is until a 24 hour live stream. But for now, We just have three, so that works out well. So we're just going to do these three. Are you ready, Gerard, to round out this show? we got to have some kind of law. we got to have some kind of law. This one comes from Chris in San Jose. GM, after a seemingly successful season, were you surprised, even disappointed, that USC was unable to flip any committed players during the December and most likely February signing period? Was that an unrealistic, unrealistic expectation? Thanks. Again, that's Chris in San Jose.
1: I don't think that was an unrealistic expectation. Surprised? Not necessarily surprised, but I think that there's certainly that potential. Again, when we see USC win double-digit games during a season, we're accustomed to them having a lot of momentum at the end of the year and capitalizing on that on the recruiting trail, and you didn't see that. so. You know, there was a bit of surprise, and certainly we've rationalized, and maybe it's the devil's advocate. Maybe it's the sort of, you know, looking at the silver lining and and trying to be positive about it and saying that, you know, it, it, it's the lag that you see with a lot of programs where the on-field product is ahead of the recruiting response. And that hasn't been the case with USC in prior years but that's also because in prior years usc had butted up against winning seasons you know it, it was winning seasons and winning seasons and winning seasons and it wasn't this sort of irrelevant um not being in the national eye um kind of stumbling through some eight win seasons with some four and five win seasons thrown in there it's a very different you know sort of time for usc and so maybe that's why we see this lag but we're going to see what happens with the 2024 class, and it certainly has not started out credibly well for USC, where we see more decommitments than commitments from top players. Uh, but it is early, and um, we do have to keep in the back of our mind what happens with the transfer portal, because USC has been pretty successful there. You know, we can talk about what they didn't sign down the stretch from the high school recruiting class, but not overlook the fact that. They were able to get a guy like Dorian Singer. They were able to get a guy like Mason Cobb, Anthony Lucas, et cetera. So, you know, we have to sort of um, balance out not expectations, but, you know, our opinions based on results overall because they are new additions. Whether they're high school guys or transfer guys, that's the addition to the football team this coming year, and that's what we're going to see on the field uh, that's going to either make USC better or keep them relatively the same. Or they don't get better, and they actually don't win as many games this season.
0: Moving on, we have Rich in San Diego. He has two questions for us. Let's get to the first one first. Banditos, he called us Banditos, by the way. Two questions surrounding the latest coaching carousel. We often get kids for – we often get on kids for transferring and not committing three or more years to their school. We see that Notre Dame OC left for Alabama right before spring practice, so now they're incoming transfers in class don't have an OC that they committed to. What are your thoughts on allowing just the transfers, the option to opt out if a head coach, OC, or defensive defensive coordinator leave this late in the process?
1: Okay. So ask that question again, because I was reading something on my cell phone
0: and I totally did not hear what
1: you asked. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Basically they're asking... The message right now is kind of important, but go ahead.
0: (laughs) He's got sources blowing him up. Basically they're asking if a... Offensive coordinator, head coach, or defensive coordinator leave like before spring or after signing day or, or in February. Should the transfers be allowed to transfer again, like opt out?
1: Oh, we, I, it is. A, it what? is. A,
0: it is an interesting situation. I mean, it's a crappy situation for 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 them to have. You know, with the Notre Dame situation, to to have their the guy who recruited them to leave, you know, I guess specifically with Sam Hartman, the quarterback. But in the long run, I I think a lot of these guys are, well, I guess with USC, you're picking a school just because, you know, education. I think a lot of the transfer guys have a little bit more uh, maturity about the process and looking at it from an education standpoint and stuff like that and seeing, you know, not necessarily all the football benefits of it, And I think they just put a little bit more emphasis on off the field stuff like education and lifestyle and stuff and not necessarily all football. I mean, with Sam Hartman, obviously, he's going to be a top NFL quarterback. So his situation and a lot of the situations, his situation is a little bit different because he, you know, number one transfer quarterback, you know, Caleb Williams, number one transfer quarterback coming to play for Lincoln Riley because he wants to win a Heisman. But I think... Transfers already have the benefit of getting one transfer, no questions asked, waiver free. I think it would just open up more headaches if they could leave again so soon.
1: I, here's what I think truth be told, push comes to shove. If Hartman wanted to leave, he could. I don't think anybody would really. It would be bad PR for Notre Dame to try to hold him back and say you can't leave. And I think it'd probably be a bit of an issue with the NCAA. Um, I think transfers could really probably press it if they wanted to. Um, having said that, do I think they should be able to do that? I think, you know, truthfully, like Chris kind of alluded to, you can't pick – Colleges just based on coaches. And I understand it's a, it's a big factor when you're thinking of the, you know, the offensive system and what have you. But I don't think that's really the question here. I don't think Notre Dame is going to go with an offensive system that is in a complete different direction than what they had projected uh, bringing in Hartman. Right? Because, you know, it's like, okay, this is a guy that's going to be a starting quarterback are you going to turn around and run an offense that doesn't fit him? Of course not. That's, that would be silly. So I think system wise, that's not really usually going to be an issue. Um, Not with transfers. Certainly it's more of, well, I had this relationship with coach, blah, 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 Well, you're going to make new relationships. You know, you just got on campus anyways. Yeah. You you liked uh, uh, Tommy Reese and he's a good guy and, and, and all that. But at the end of the day, You know, you're going to have to learn to to have different coaches in your life. They're going to have influences. And you get to NFL, some coaches you might like, some coaches you you might not like. You're going to have to deal with that too. So I, I think really you should be making decisions on colleges that there's things outside of just the coaches that impact you. You know, and and you said education and and sort of just the campus life and and all these other things that I think do really impact players more than they realize it and they get people in their ears though. And it's like, okay, you know, your NFL clock is ticking. Everybody's about the NFL, NFL, NFL. And every kid that you talk to two star to five star thinks he's going to the NFL. And a lot of these guys will talk. Yeah. You know, I just want to have a someplace that I really feel comfortable for the next three years. And you're <laughs> thinking to yourself, yeah, yeah. Cause you know, so many guys are ready to leave for the NFL after three years. That's 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 silly to have that expectation. But you know that's sort of got to be their mindset. You know they're going to think positively and they're going to will it to happen. Um, so I, I I do think you kind of just hey man, it's, that's too bad for you. It Sucks, uh, coach. Uh, you know maybe he lied to you. Maybe maybe he never really broached that subject about whether he was going to be around. You just assume that. But you got to take it on the chin. And in this case, obviously, they're not going to go with a completely different offense because it's a coach that's uh, on the team that's been part of that offense, which, you know, by the way, not a very good offense. And, you know, (laughs) if I was Hartman, I would probably welcome a a new coordinator or somebody that comes in that's got uh, maybe a a little different uh, look at uh, what Notre Dame's offense should be like uh, next year because outside of the USC game which is probably one of, that in the Clemson game where the two games were you know uh, you Notre Dame actually looked like they had a decent offense the rest of the season it, it wasn't so good looking for Notre Dame so it's not necessarily like it's USC's offense and you're losing um, you know some coach off the offense that you know has a as a as a big a big part in it um, you know, running back, and you're losing uh, Kyle McDonald. But even then, I mean, that your your system's not changing. It's it, it Lincoln Riley's not going anywhere. So, you know, you're yeah, it sucks. You you really like the the running back coach. You like the way he coached up his guys. You like the relationship you had with him. I totally understand that. I, I don't want to dismiss that totally, but at the same time, man, you, you you're gonna have a new coach. You, you'll you'll like him. He'll you'll dig him. He, he'll be a good guy. You're not gonna get some guy that's just gonna be you know, a complete a-hole that you're not going to like.
0: And the second question, using the same scenario, seems like head coaches have more, have to have a first, second, and third option in case their staff leave for for jobs right before spring practice. Let's say USC's defense looks like trash the first three to four games, and regardless of the record, Lincoln Riley decides to cut bait with your boy, Alex Grinch. I'm not sure why he's my boy. Would you, would you think, who would you f- Think would fill the DC role on the current staff? Brian Odom. Yes, that is my
1: boy. I I think that's (laughs) more towards me because I've talked about Alex Grinch. How I think he's a smart coach, and I think you know he has some interesting ideas. Um, I don't know if they're going to be ideas that work. You know, I don't necessarily know the end game in terms of what he's looking for defensively. If he's trying to kind of recreate the wheel here. And have this sort of air raid version of a defense, you know, where you have smaller players and you're trying to use the field uh, defensively more than you are trying to play, you know, man against man as you would do, you know, with the air raid offense as opposed to running more of a pro style offense. Uh, But nevertheless, I think he's a detailed oriented guy and I think he's smart and I think he understands defense. And he's not a guy that, let's just say this. When you listen to Clay Helton talk about offensive schemes, you kind of felt like he was in over his head sometimes and he was just sort of repeating what other people had told him. And again, didn't necessarily understand from a concept standpoint, from a root standpoint, how to get from point A to point B. Uh, I don't think that's true of Alex Grinch. I think he understands exactly the defense that he's running and he understands defense as a whole. But, you know, as a play caller, are you calling the right plays Personnel-wise, are you making the right decisions for personnel? You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's going to be the end result is going to be the right one. Um, but nevertheless, I see why Lincoln Riley chose to bring Alex Grinch with him and 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 chose to have him um, as his defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. I, I get it. I don't think that there's, like, a whole lot to question there. It's just a matter of results at this point. You know, what's going to be the result at the end of the season? Or... You know, if they're really that bad, you know, first four or five games in the season. Yeah, you do have to make that decision. But absolutely, it's going to be Brian Odom. Brian Odom was uh, selected to be the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma when Alex Grinch had left early. And I think uh, there's confidence there in Brian Odom, for sure, to be the guy to probably take over uh, the defense at that point.
0: Yeah, Brian Odom would be my pick as well. And our final question, or not really a question, but a suggestion comes from Mark from Santa Monica. Hey, Chris and Hurricane. First off, you two kill it, and credit to to Ryan for spotting the badass on-air talent in its nascent stages. I hope I said that word right. Second, (laughs) instead of giving 30% to YouTube, or whatever percentage they take, it is 30%, why not just have people send you PayPal donations? You can just field them during the show. You wouldn't have to give up a draconian percentage. Just a thought. Fine on go Meredith Schlosser and Trader Joe's. Thank you, Mark, from Santa Maca. I have actually thought about doing that because YouTube does take such a brutal cut of the donations. But I do like the aspect of getting them live into the chat and I can put them up on the screen. That is the only real benefit of it. And the person gets to see their, you know, their name and their donos go up on the uh on the board or on the, on the show. That is the only real reason I would keep doing that. I maybe we'll go to, to that. So the, the PayPal donations, but I do like that suggestion. And again, we do really appreciate all the donations that we have gotten in our two live shows, well over a thousand dollars from our two shows, which is just incredible. So thank you so much to anyone who's ever donated to us, even if it's, $150 one hundred fifty dollars to uh two dollars whatever that that may be we really appreciate it and yeah Gerard did I say that word right nascent and nascent yes nascent. um
1: that's a very good word that's a very s a t word um yes certainly uh we appreciate everybody uh money bags manfred uh money money Mitch, mitchell uh all, all all those guys roland uh we had uh, Roland
0: Roland uh, papa uh, rich.
1: A lot of great interactions with you guys in the live show. And I actually had a suggestion for Chris uh, before Uh-oh. we started. Well, we already talked about this. I don't want to say 004. You Uh-oh. know exactly where I'm going with this. That was like five hours ago, my man. Fall, fell asleep while I was talking to you, which is possible. But um, yeah, we could actually put this on YouTube and just have graphics and, and, and have an intern or somebody – You know, go over the timestamps and just, um, you know, put in some photos of things. You know, we're talking about the Oregon Duck uh, coaching staff moves, and you could just put a picture up of Clem as we're talking about that, or Brandon Baker, um, the offensive tackle, five-star from modern day, Um, and and do it that way and actually have those up on YouTube. Uh, Twitch is also a way, in terms of donations, where you actually have a system which works a little better. I think they they YouTube has streaming, and so there has to be some type of system because Doctor Disrespect, Tim the Tap Man, um, there's uh, you know a few pretty big streamers that are now over on YouTube um, that do have donations and they get read out and they do pop up on screen. So I don't know if those are like in house, you know, personal production. Um, sort of uh, effects that they have, that they do for themselves, or it's it's YouTube. But Twitch has always done that and has a uh, an actual subscriber base and, and a system which you can actually even gift subscriptions to other people in the community. So you have a bunch of registered users. Mm-hmm. USCFootball.com has like forty thousand, fifty thousand. I can't. I don't even know how many uh, registered users. Give only subs. so many. Only so many subscribers, however. And so what you can do as a community member and sort of, uh, um, you know, somebody that has uh, you know, sort of a, 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 a larger place within the community is be somebody that actually gifts subscriptions to other people in the community, which just grows the community. And that's not something that 24 seven sports does. And it's not a system they have. And it's a system that I've actually brought up to Casey um, Cross Grove. I, you guys all know Casey from, the peristyle and, and he's uh, an engineer at 24/7 and CBS interactive as well and a guy that's you know, he's been a big fan of ours I think even before we uh, we met him up at Scout and, um, and I' mentioned that in the past like you know there's a community aspect uh, especially with the peristyle I don't know if it's like this with every uh, message board uh, certainly um, on the internet or, or even on 24/7 sports. But there's definitely a community aspect to the Peristyle. A lot of people that have been with us for decades. I mean, they've been with us. They've been with the Peristyle before it was the Peristyle. They've been with it before you know Ryan even came over from uh, having an independent site to rivals before you know I was even hired. So there's people who've been with us a very very long time, and I'm sure that you know they would uh, love to to have their name out there and up there and like, hey, you know this is a, this is a prominent member of the Peristyle someone that's actually giving back to the community and actually giving people a chance to see what's behind the paywall. And so, you know, there are definitely different aspects and different things that uh, we, we, we have, we could do. And that I feel like maybe we haven't done that we should be able to do. And so we'll see, you know, going forward, if you know, the live show and that whole, that whole aspect, it's kind of opened our eyes a, a bit to, 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 you know, this, the interaction with the, the, the fan base. I love it. Um, it's we, so much fun. We don't, we, we get on the peristyle, but obviously cause it's live, it's different, you know, it's, di- and I understand it because I'm somebody that watches Twitch. I watch a lot of people playing escape from Tarkov and um, all kinds of different games on there. And, and you see that community with a live chat as opposed to the community we have with the peristyle. I mean, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. I think obviously we have a, a probably an old older demographic and maybe people that would not like it as much, but then probably a younger younger demographic and maybe even people that are older but have never seen it or experienced it and would, you know, be interested more in it. Just the live feedback that we would have. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously the show. You know, we just started doing it. We're still in our first season until April. Season one. Season one. Um, <laughs> very nice. Uh, but uh, I, I uh, you know, we're, we're kind of fi- kind of figuring it out and seeing, you know, where it goes, and and it's a little bit of sort of a, I mean, we nobody else does this, right? Nobody has a live show about freaking recruiting that's as long as ours, or as in depth as ours, and details as ours, and and as silly know, as ours, and as silly as ours, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody, you know, has embraced the cilantro boy. Uh,
0: I'm fully on board, baby. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm designing some merch right now. And you just also got sun.
1: a tattoo for the Twitter followers that you got. So, yeah, that's you're an adopter of uh, the zany. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what, what, it, it's definitely, you know, everything is sort of uh, up for for potential embracement. You know, is that even a word? Embracement? I just make up a word right now. Yeah, we can embrace we all kinds of new things and, 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 suggestions. So keep them coming. I mean, I think Ryan's listening and, um, you know, we, <laughs> we used to have, see, the thing is, I mean, we used to have live chats like almost weekly and we'd have them on, on, on the pair style. And this was back in the recruiting guru days, this was way, way before you, Chris. And this was like real insider sort of chats and people would get in there and You know, it it was a lot of back and forth and it was sometimes it was hard to follow and what have you. But people really loved that, you know, on the spot sort of engagement. And the problem was, it's like you you couldn't get chat software that a really worked well enough and b worked well enough behind a paywall. And that's one of the issues that we have with this podcast is people are like, dude, you guys are giving out so much information and you talk so much and, and you're speaking more to the hardcore fans that are already on the pair style. Why is this even free? You know, like I'm paying for the peristyle. Like, why is this free? Well, because it's like really difficult to put this behind a paywall where people aren't going to just share it anyways, right? We can put the link behind a paywall and we just know everybody and their brother is going to email it to each other. It gets a part of that gaucho emailing list and, you know, forget about it. It's, it's, it's going out there to the masses. So it's like, you know, why, why, why do that? That's a futile attempt to keep it behind a paywall. Uh, we just have to find like a better system of being able to embed or something. But all this stuff is, it's, it's new for us, you know, because this podcast is, is a
0: different kind of new thing for us. I think the next step for more live streams is so Gerard doesn't have to come all the way to the studio every time. Is <laughs> yes. we need to get him out of the basement uh, or his garage, sorry, not basement, garage for doing these shows. And we need him to get a, I'm sure he has a nice, home setup computer and then uh, webcam and then we could do more live remotely of oh, so having to come in here remote
1: okay I thought you're gonna tell me you know Ryan needs to give him a raise so he can move to no, LA no, no. county and live on the beach and
0: no we we could do a pretty good remote live show like with you at your computer at home not in the garage you know
1: yeah,
0: I'm just maybe. saying that I, that's I, I like
1: the future. literally yeah I am literally in the garage I got a jacket on. I got my shoe.
0: The things like he goes through to deliver his, his talks to you guys. Someone send this man a hat and a sweater.
1: <laughs> yeah, really?
0: Yeah. And I a heater you. and a space heater.
1: It's it's just, you know, I live with uh, three kids under the age of 10, and you can't tell them to shut up. It's just – I would have the one in your, one-year-old in your one in here. Just,
0: I wonder where they get that from.
1: He goes <sighs> – what a cut. You cut me deep, there, Chris. I'm going to shut up now
0: all right well if he shuts up then that's the end of the show i guess i i can't go on after that uh gerard anything else you would like to say or not say no i'm gonna cry myself to sleep tonight i'm gonna get so much hate uh for the end of that uh for the end of that show but only like 12 people actually listen to the very end of this podcast but we're back Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Composite Two-Star Recruits. I am much better, so I think we'll be back for another episode next week. We'll see. I'm Chris. That's Gerard. His feelings are a little bit hurt, and this is going to make it a little bit worse. But we will catch you next time on Composite Two-Star Recruits.
1: Yeah, sucks! You suck.